All right. Inappropriate Earl's second season. We're rolling hard. It's a special week for the podcast. We got two coming uh, on Thursday at 11 a.m. The great guitar player Joey Allen from Warrant is going to stop in and tell us where the down boys went and uh, talk about cherry pie and those complex lyrics. But tonight is a different story. We got a dude, an actor, filmmaker, uh, comedy voyeur, uh, late night comedy store heckler stopping in. Put your grubby little sweaty sausage fingers together for Mr. Jordan Lee. Thanks, Earl. Dude, this you, is... Uh, you always have the best lead-ins, man. Always. Well, it's a competitive market, man. You Bill gotta Gates stand out. swingers. Dude, this is actually your second appearance, because uh, I believe you were on the one of the first three or four with Danish and O'Neill. I was. However, this is my first with a microphone. Yeah, we, uh, we, weren't, uh, we weren't on top of it back then. Uh, like we are now, as you can see. Yeah, it's more uh, professional now, for sure. Well, it's just hard getting people to come here. Uh, you know, it took me four months to get Stephen Piercy from Rat to come. Oh, but it was worth it. He's got know. a lot of shit going on, Earl. You know that. Well, a lot of people are complaining about the sound on that episode. It was him chewing gum, actually. So, Dude, as a podcast fanatic, nothing pisses me off more than somebody chewing gum or eating on a podcast. I I mean, I've shut off some of my favorite podcasters doing shit like that. But he was nice enough to come down and he's my favorite. Singer. Oh, absolutely. You got to take what you I mean, it is what it is, you know. And uh, I have to thank Stephen Piercy right now for providing the quality mic knuckle holders. Uh, I've sent a picture out on Twitter. I'll send it again. Uh, go uh, make Stephen some dollars here because those rat. Oh, this for sale? Oh, yeah. They're like, uh, he's got like 20 different models and colors, and uh, his prices are a bargain because I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Vinnie Vincent, the man I have a personal obsession with. <laughs> I've read up on him just because of you. I know quite a bit of the story now. But he has, this will make you appreciate it even more. He has a live auction going on right now. Just Google Vinnie Vincent live auction. I don't know if he has the money to keep the website going. Is this another guitar that he claims to have played and didn't play? Or It's insanity. The price is no matter... $8,000 for a signed 8 by oh, 10 You're out of your mind. Well, that's about right. He is selling his... Uh, I think his Jackson Flying V that he used on the Lick It Up tour for a low, low price of $90,000. <laughs> That's funny because my guess was going to be 500000 so well, I'm not a, too far off. I know a guy. He's a real schmuck. He actually put in a bid for $91,000 just to see if Vinny would contact him. Are you hope, Are you hoping somebody outbids you? That's No, it wasn't me. I, there's no way I would pay $91,000. I mean, that's worth maybe 10. Not if I can't get you to buy Rick Rude's trunks for like 1000 or whatever those were. That guitar is worth 10 grand tops. Yeah. yeah I know the most cuz it is a pretty uh, cool guitar. It's the uh Right, but but for a fanatic. I mean, that's not something that that the guitar itself has much value outside well, it, of being his guitar. Well, this one does from the standpoint of the story is this was a guitar made for Randy Rhodes. Oh, uh, okay. Of, you know, Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Quiet Riot. Playing Crash. And, uh, you know, they made all these 
flying V guitars. Jackson did. And, you know, obviously he didn't need them anymore. <laughs> Randy Rhodes was. So <laughs> Vinny got, Vinny and Robin Crosby from Rat got a lot of the guitars that were made for Randy, so, so it's kind of him. a somewhat of a cool story, and uh, there's you can also get a T-shirt for seventy five dollars signed. <laughs> what a bargain! I would love to uh, meet the guy who wrote the descriptions for these items. Now, no, he, now here's here's my question: Has anybody bought this stuff and actually received it? Well, because this uh, just this, started, I think, over the weekend. Because so. you know the story is that people send him money for things that he's selling on his site, and they never receive anything. Yeah, you're looking at one of them. <laughs> what uh, did you buy? I bought his box set on cassette, which really tells <laughs> on you. Cassette, tell me, how long ago was this? This was. Um, Maybe the late 90s, early 2000s, and okay. uh, it was okay. kind of cool. You, uh, the, the box that came in this like pink flying V type case, and right. uh, I opened it up, and there was nothing in it. Like there was <laughs> nothing the in it. It was just the case. <laughs> so, and I think I told this story on the Skylar yeah, Stone. You got, you got fucking pyramid schemed. Yeah, so I got schemed by the scheme. Scheme <laughs> gene. Shit, man. So I think I told this story on the uh, Skylar Stone episode, but yeah, I'll, I'll tell it again in case people haven't. That was a while ago. Right. Uh, so I have this idea for a uh, documentary. I want Russell Peters to fund. I know Russell listens. He's a Vinny fan. Uh, that it's going to be called Finding Vinny. Because if you know, like you read in Rolling Stone, they right. couldn't even find him. Right. His house, I guess, looks abandoned at this point, and his yeah. wife's died. So. His house is like in uh, it's Tennessee. A and yeah, it's like, it was, I mean, it's like, yeah. Looks like the Adams family house. Right. Uh, uh, and his life is fascinating. I mean, first wife was a escort in Connecticut. She was found chopped to pieces. You know, uh, you know, he started off writing jingles on Happy Days. Right. And uh, then he was in the Dan Hartman band. Uh, there's some great video on YouTube. I, I think it's called Instant Replay by Dan Hartman, where it's him. Uh, with a really 70s porno style stash and uh, <laughs> with G.E. Smith. Of, oh, yeah, uh, from Saturday Night Live bands. That's two pretty good guitar players. I'll, yeah, I'll say. And Dan Hartman, uh, you know, he's more known for that song, I Can Dream About You. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I grew up hearing that one going to the public pool. You would, I know you wouldn't know what a public pool is. No, I only go in private pools. Yeah, us paupers from the Midwest had to go to a public pool that you paid a buck fifty a day to go to. I mean, your credit rating probably just got better by coming to my house. Well, it's, I mean, well, then I'll, I'll have some credit at, at least. <laughs> this town's killed it. Oh, it's, it's, it's this town's brutal, man. But, it's, yeah. But I really had no credit, actually, for a long time because I'd always buy everything in cash. Right. That was the way I was I was brought up to be. But you just you, you can't get anything. You I, I couldn't even get my first apartment on something like that. So, yeah, I had trouble getting this house because or condo because they were like, well, dude, we know you can afford it, but you have no credit like you have nothing. Which it's is a scheme, man. It's just all a fucking facade to get people in the system oh, in, yeah. into that. You know, it's like. The fucking wrestlers had it had it probably the easiest because they were all making it in cash. They would just buy houses and shit in cash. They were never going to get a loan. But that's that horrible. kind of job. You know what I mean? You never. You, nobody would take a risk on a guy who puts his life his body on the line every night for any kind of loan. 
I mean, but that's a horrible way for guys like you and me or anyone, girls, to just pay cash. And uh, Oh, right, right, right. I mean, that's... My brother does the same thing. He still does it, and he's older than me. He buys everything in cash, you know, which is cool in one sense because you have no debt. Right. But then when you have to buy, like, a house or a you know uh, a high item car you know or item. luckily luckily that doesn't come up too often for me well you will though you know you got to get those acting gigs yeah and... we'll see you know i keep waiting you know it, i i enjoy uh i i enjoy just living the dream whether or not i'm making any money at it it's still better than what what i would have been doing where i grew up what everybody you know which is where uh i grew up in troy ohio which was pretty close to dayton which is also pretty close to cincinnati and both of those were notorious uh murder cities with that you know routinely make the top 10 or top five in murders for the year so it was just like we're on the outskirts of it and there was just a lot very conservative ultra conservative people there's not a lot to do so so pretty much I was pretty much a loner and knew when I heard Appetite for Destruction that changed it all. Oh yeah, welcome to the jungle. Oh, dude. well, well you're the, in it. It was the it was the videos and then it was like I think I was 7 years old or something when I got that tape and I saw that Geffen Records was on there and I just thought they lived there and I'm like that's that's where I got to go. That's and that was the goal for the until I turned 18 when I moved out here and went to music school. Well, I remember uh, one day driving by Geffen Records, and it didn't hit me till years later, but I saw them all standing outside one day. Oh, fuck. And I'll never, because I remember Steven Adler's hair, and uh, I remember Slash's top hat, and it's like, you know, wow, that was them. It was probably right around when they first signed the deal. Right. Uh, it was a great. Were you into them right from the get go? Did you see them before they broke? I mean, because I didn't know about them till. Probably live at the Ritz when MTV aired live at the Ritz was when I found out who they were and I just went crazy for it. Well, I remember I used to play hockey on Sunday nights in uh, Culver City and at the time it's where the Kings practiced. It was a real ragtag group of people. You had the black mailman from uh, OJ's Mailman. <laughs> yeah. We all call him Black Bruce. <laughs> Shout out to Bruce Thomas out there. He's probably still delivering mail to Rockingham. <laughs> and uh, Rocky George, the guitar player from Suicidal Tendencies. Oh, okay. Too. And he's famous because he, he's missing, like uh, I think, like half of a finger or something. And he's still like a cr- great guitar player. Yeah. He would tell everyone about this new group. And, you know, everyone hears that. You know, the new actor is going to make it. This comics gonna make it and you just blow him off and you know he was right so you know but they were kind of glam before they uh, oh i remember that well they were huge fans of hanoi rocks weren't they wasn't that the they story were, yeah they were fans of hanoi rocks Mike Monroe, and, and they just they really had that kind of that thing going that whole image going well they had uh i mean who it was first you know people always uh casual fans were like well, where does the guns part come in like Oh, well, yeah, Ella, Tracy. Tracy Guns. Who, yeah, he was the original guitarist. And uh, they kind of bailed out, and then Slash, who was fresh off his audition for Poison. Yeah, which, didn't get in because he wasn't attractive enough is what I'd heard. Well, apparently he came into the audition in, like, his hippie, you know, suede pants and, you know, water moccasin boots. <laughs> yeah. And they looked at him like, what the fuck? And then CeCe DeVille came in, like, pretty soon after in, like, pink Chuck Taylors and platinum blonde hair and they're like this is our guy yeah so 
it's kind of like how Ace Frehley got into Kiss. You know, they you talk about a guy who's probably pretty bitter. Uh, Bob Kulik had the gig, but he was bald and he didn't really look like right. But right. he was a great guitar player. And then Ace comes in with two different shoes on, kind of like Boone. Right? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, I remember hearing that description. Yeah, like two different chucks, right? Yeah, and he just walked past. They were basically saying to Bob, you got the gig. Ace apparently just walked right by him, plugged in his amp, and started playing. And, you know, they're like, well, you're kind of a dick, but you're more what we're looking for. Unbelievable. And then then years later, Bob's brother, Bruce, gets to be in Kiss for like 12 years. Right. Well, dude, my uh, when I moved out here, went to music school, my teacher was the guy who discovered Kiss. Signed, discovered them and told the whole story of how he discovered them. It was uh, Kenny Kerner. Oh, yeah. Kenny Kerner. And, and the- what he said was he said he was trying to get into the business and he went and went to Bill O'Coin and told him, uh, you know, like, what can I do to get to get like a job with you? And he said, grab that stack of stuff that people have mailed in, see if there's anything worth a damn in there. And he said, and I saw their picture and I didn't even have to listen to music yet. He goes, I just, I knew what they were going for. It was pretty, pretty crappy version of it. But he said, when I put the music in, I knew what they were going for. And then I think he went on to produce their first two albums and the live album. Yeah. Kenny Kerner and Richie Wise. Yeah. Were, uh, and if you, it's funny, you mentioned that story. There's a book right there called uh, rock and roll all night party every day, yeah. which is uh the story of uh, not just Kiss, but you know the Village People, right? Uh, Donna Summer, yeah. and that was a huge. That was the number one label at in the late seventies. But they weren't they like the only rock band on there. It was major like a disco label. Well, they had uh, some weird groups that uh, I don't remember, uh, but not like Fog Hat. But they had some like weird acts like that on there. But Kiss was, I mean, didn't really matter who they had. Kiss, yeah, so right. Much money and and people. I think kind of forget how big the village people were. Like it's just you yeah. laugh at them Selective now. memory. And they still tour. Oh yeah. And they wouldn't be touring if people weren't going out and seeing them. But I mean back then they were almost as big as Kiss. I mean they were right. on every talk show. Uh and it was just I didn't know they were like a gay group. <laughs> Which do you, is do you now? Well, here's the funny <laughs> thing. Only one of them was gay in real life. Of the, yeah, I know. Wasn't it the biker? Of the, the well, I think guy? it's the guy who died of AIDS, but that's just an assumption. <laughs> yeah. Th- that would be Glenn Hughes. The singer was man. married to Felicia Rashad at one point, wasn't he? Before Ahmad Rashad was? I, well, they had two singers. Uh, I think Victor Willis, and then I forget the name of the other uh, singer. Um, and then... Uh, now, here's a crazy story. I was just in New York. Right. And they say one of the orig- one of the first people to jump off one of the towers on 9-11 was the brother of uh, the, it wasn't the singer in the village people, but the military man. Okay. Taller, I think his name was Alex Briley. Uh, just kind of an interesting side story. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure one of your listeners will know that story. They can help fill that one in for us. <laughs> but I mean, that's just, I think it was, the, they showed this iconic picture of, of uh you know, someone having to make that decision, and uh, he was the guy's brother. So. Oh man! I have you been even... to New York? I have. I went when I was in uh, high school. Dude, I got to tell you, you got next time you go there. I went last week to the nine eleven museum. And yeah, I wasn't there when I was there, but wow, I can. It's imagine. amazing. I mean, it's like four, uh, like 
not maybe not four stories, but it's pretty big. And, four uh, levels were yeah, four levels, and they have this one room you go into, and it's all the phone calls that people were making, like uh, and they just have it on loop, and the, the videos, it's it's, and they have it's like a hall of fame of of, of that day, and it's they fire. Would you did, what 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 made you go to that? Did you have were you gonna go to that when you were there? Did somebody bring that up? Because the thing is, I want I don't I know what happened. I, I really like obsessed over that when it happened, but I think I might be at that point where I don't want to relive it. I don't know that I would want to go in and see all that stuff. I mean, I know I, and I love history. I'm a huge history fanatic, but I just don't know if, if I could take it yet for some reason. Well, if you talk to some of those truthers on Alex Jones website, they don't think it actually happened. Yeah, I know, man. I used to have one that lived next to me and he used to like drop off videos in my screen door. All very, uh, you know, Capricorn one, OJ, we, we never landed on the it was Mars. Yeah, Alex Jones and he would send that Michael Rupert. Do you know who that guy is? I've heard the name. Yeah, he, he believed that the whole thing was like done by the banking industry and... Yeah, Bush I, knew, I believe, Cheney knew, the yeah. whole thing. I mean, how could people be that stupid? Uh, I mean, I mean, whether you like Bush or not, he didn't fucking, he wasn't in on it. No, I, yeah. I mean, I, man, I feel like I've almost just dropped out of politics altogether. I used to be a big fanatic, but over the years I would hear people in interviews, mostly musicians go, yeah, it got easier when I realized that both parties were the same. And I would go, that's such a stupid comment until I started really watching. I was like, yeah, really. I mean, they really are fighting over the same things. It's just they're dressing it up differently and we're not really getting anywhere. So I kind of like dropped off of even caring about politics anymore. Do oh, I don't vote. I mean, I registered the one year Schwarzenegger was running for governor and I just wrote in uh, the whole cast of Predator. <laughs> It's like a, is this cabinet? Yeah. Dude, I was thinking about you yesterday. I was somewhere I where, where um Cheryl Hines was being interviewed. Do you know who Cheryl Hines is? She plays she's the actress who is um well, apparently now she's part of your family. She's the uh the wife on Larry David uh Curb Your Enthusiasm and she just married Bobby Kennedy Jr. She's and so, black, right? No, she's white. Do you Bobby Kennedy would marry was marrying a black woman, you thought? Anything's possible. No, yeah. he he married a white woman, and she was talking about how uh, your aunt Ethel was pretty much running the whole show as far as planning the wedding and and everything. And I was sitting there laughing, going, "I know her fucking yeah. nephew. nephew." Ethel's no joke, man. I mean, I don't see her at all, but you know, she's uh, eighty three, still on top of it. That's what it sounds like, man. That's from from what I heard. There's a great documentary. My cousin Rory, her youngest uh, sibling did on her on hbo i think about a year ago just called ethel and it was awesome so. oh awesome i'm such i love i mean i'm a huge it's fan really of documentaries good. and history so i definitely like to check it out i mean there were there was in the first like 10 minutes video and, and pictures of my parents i'd never seen before oh wow just like video of the wedding right stuff like that so that happened to me last year man i went i went back to ohio for a visit and my cousin came and she goes i found a vhs of like christmas of 87 and your dad's in it would you like it and there for like a split second i have like my dad walking and talking and he died when i was eight you know it's like oh really i haven't heard his voice and you know yeah and to actually see him like on camera it was just like one of those weird experiences you know like is your mom still alive my mom's still alive yeah um she lives in ohio and she's uh 
She's probably, I'm a very, uh, I'm exact replica of both my parents to combined. A lot of my sense of humor of like the craziness of my mom and then like the dryness of, of like not really liking to deal with people. And, and right. like, that's definitely my dad. And that's why I'm into the music I'm into. My dad would play like Alice Cooper and the who and stuff, you know, Jethro Tull from the time I was like a real little kid. And my mom played like funk and like. Motown and stuff like the Almond Brothers band, so that I pretty much was into everything. It sounds like Slash's parents. Yeah, totally. I mean, in fact, when I got uh, moved out here and I met Slash, I was I said I'm going to music school. What do you think I should? They just keep telling me to play the Beatles and like I'll learn from playing the Beatles. What do you think I should play? And he said, "Go get Aerosmith Rocks if you don't have it already." And so when I went back home, I went through my mom's record collection and grabbed her Aerosmith Rocks, and it's definitely my favorite Aerosmith album. Well, Slash, I remember reading his book, said one of his uh, favorite bands, like when he was younger, just as he was getting into music, were the Cars. Really? So you wouldn't think, uh, you know, a guy like Slash would be into, but he's like a big fan of Elliot Easton, who's like a, one of the few left-handed rocker guitarists. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, it's, I think it. A lot of those guys have uh, eclectic music taste. Well, you know, you and I are both Weezer fans. Oh, yeah. And when I moved out here, I was a huge Weezer fanatic. They hadn't put anything out in a long time. Um, but I got into like rat because I, I saw an old picture of that guy at school wearing a rat T-shirt. Yeah. Rivers uh, Cuomo. Yeah. He's like a big metal guy. Yeah, he is. And uh, so, yeah, like I had this factory job and this girl there was like a closet like metalhead. She was like five years older than me when I was 18 and uh, and I would just I, like jokingly came in one day with like a Motley Crue Dr. Feelgood shirt on because I was just I was really listening to it a lot and I was like oh fucking I don't care if anybody makes fun of me and she showed up about three days later dude and she had a trash bag full of her concert shirts and they all fit me and it's all shit you would have loved it was uh, the World Series of Rock Tour with White Snake and uh, I think Triumph was on that and Kicks and um, she had the Rolling Stones uh steel wheels tour shirt in there she had the white one of the white snake tours with like the snake head all these shirts and then like all these buttons like poison buttons and guns and roses just hooked me up so when i came out here i was totally into that stuff i snuck into the rainbow when i was like 19 and would meet all those guys i just got turned down uh by kicks publicist for this? Yeah, it's like, come on, man. Who wants to talk to kicks other than me and maybe their parents? What was yeah, what was their big hit? They had one grilly the great one ballad. Big one, Don't close your eyes. Yeah. Don't close your eyes. And then they had, I think, uh Cold Blood or Cool Blood, something like that. They had like one other minor hit, but uh, you know, their problem was they just weren't good looking dudes. Oh, yeah. Was that, that was really all it was about back then, wasn't it, man? I mean, if you think about it, that was even, that was probably a lot of the appeal to wrestling was that it was bulked up rock stars. Ultimate yeah. Warrior, Rick Rude, Jake the Snake. Those guys were really, they were they like rock stars. Well, that's the, uh, my favorite era of Alice Cooper. Uh, they had this, and this guy turned me down too, kind of. Uh, the great Kane Roberts. Oh, he, really? He had the bazooka guitar because he looked like Rambo. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he kind of was like, he was into it, but then when he found out he had to come to me, he's like, oh, you know, he's kind of 
He didn't blow me off, but, you know, I could tell he wasn't really coming down. I, you know, I only live in West Hollywood. It's not like I live in fucking Diamond Bar. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're and, not you know, slumming it, and you're not that far. Some of these people, you know, I'm working on one guy. He literally lives two blocks Blackie from Blackie Lawless? I can't say who it is, because I think he's going to end up doing it, but... <laughs> You know, you don't want to weed him out before he says yes. Yeah, so because I know he listens, but Jesus Christ, he lives literally two blocks from me. <laughs> I see him at the supermarket. <laughs> so I'm hoping to, uh, you know, is it somebody big or like? Somebody- I mean, big to me, but I mean, uh, you know, I mean that's the thing, you know, with this podcast is, you know, you're a podcast aficionado, right? You listen to Rogan and, and Joey Diaz, and, right? You know, those guys get big guests, right? But you know what, dude. Some of my favorite guests are people I was not like are are small, not small. Okay, here's an example. Uh, I was listening to our buddy Dean Del Rey's podcast. He had the guy from uh, the guitar player from the Bullet Boys. We, I wouldn't consider the Bullet Boys a huge band, but that was one of the more interesting podcasts that I'd ever heard. Oh yeah, because I mean, he really went into like a lot of the detail on like what what eras. Because he's like they're really only a band for like two years, but he's like we were we went from this to this to a drug habit to this, and then I was ready, to, you know, like and I didn't know anything about him. Well, they had that one hit. Uh, their big hit was uh, "Smooth Up in Ya." Yeah, and then yeah. they had a kind of a minor hit with the cover of the that song from The Apprentice, "The Love of Money." Money, oh money, okay. Money. Oh so, yeah. Well. My friend was actually the drummer in him for like a month. Who? Uh, his name's Brent Fitz, and now he joins for Slash. Oh right. I used to know Slash's old. That's actually how I met Slash. Was his old drummer Matt Log? Okay. He. Uh, I was at the Rainbow one night, and the Rainbow was closing down, and one of my buddies was talking to me. He goes, "Hey man, uh, this guy's the drummer of Slash," and. He wants to go to this after hours party with us. You want to ride with him and uh, and show him where we're going because we'd been I'd been there before. And on the ride over there, the guy starts like playing music and shit in his car, and I, I knew what it was. And he goes, "How old are you?" I'm like 18. He goes, "How are you in a bar at 18?" I go, "I just you know." And then we started talking. Next thing I know, the guy like had given me his number. He goes, "Hey, I'll give you slash tickets if you want to come meet a come meet him Wednesday. I'll." Uh, let you meet him after the show and this and that and whatever. And the guy had ended up going to the music school that I was going to and okay. knew, all, knew all my teachers. Cause he had taken classes from some of them and actually was like such a cool dude. And I ran into him at Kimmel like six months ago. That's a good band on Kimmel. Yeah. He wasn't in that band, but he was in, um, who was he? He must've been in snake pit slash a snake pit. Not for not six months ago. He was drumming for somebody who was like on a solo tour. I forget who it even was. Cause I just ran into him and I was like, Oh wow. I did, would never guess he was drumming for that. He was like a hired gun at various points, but well, that's where the money's at. You just go from band to band. I know, man. You know, when I went to, that's actually what killed music for me in a way was when I went to music school, you go and you have all these dreams of like, they're going to teach me how to be a rock star. They're going to teach me how to like just shred or just whatever. And it, a lot of it was like, okay, we're getting you ready to be able to get hired to be a studio musician or a touring musician, like basically teaching you how to fit in with, you know, basically like teaching you generics, uh, the scales, the, you know, the modes, whatever, all the actual stuff to it that you could get any gig with right. how to dress to get any gig. And I was like, that's almost exactly what I didn't come here for. I came here to like develop myself and get weirder, not get, you know, more universal. So I, I, I stayed there for about a year and then I was, 
Got a job at a record label and left. Well, I mean, that's those uh, guys who do studio work. I mean, they, they make so much money. But it sucks because I think a lot of them can't say they were on the album. I don't know how uh, it works now. But. Yeah, no, I had heard that. I, I think you've mentioned it, but I'd heard the same thing about Gene Simmons, that it was that, oh, man, that they were paid people to play his parts on some of the albums early on. There's been more uh, fucking ghost musicians on Kiss Records <laughs> in a haunted house. <laughs> I mean, the bass player in Kiss in on the albums anyway. It was a black the, dude, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the great and he, this guy I have an issue with Jean Beauvoir. Why do you have a, an issue with Jean Beauvoir? Because I was a fan of his. You know, he, he was in the band The Plasmatics right. before Kiss, and then the, you know, he was the studio guy, and then he uh, had one hit that was on the Cobra soundtrack, "Feel the Heat." <laughs> I know that song. And uh, and then he had this band called crown of thorns which is actually a really good band and the first on the first album the drummer was the great uh, sadly departed tony thompson who a lot of people don't know this about tony thompson he was going to be the drummer in the zeppelin reunion really but uh he got into a very bad car accident and he couldn't rehearse and then uh now robert plant doesn't want to do it at all well, uh, you know, they could do it with Bonham's kid, but uh, that that was their shot. If you go and uh, I watched it today, they're set from Live Aid where you have uh, the three surviving members and right. they had two drummers, Phil Collins right, and right. Tony Thompson. Well, did you see, I mean, I think it was three months ago, uh, Robert Plant issued like a statement because I guess Jimmy Page w had been complaining in the media saying that Robert Plant wouldn't agree to do a re like a reunion tour or anything. And <laughs> Robert Plant said, I've moved on. I played those songs enough. If he wants to keep playing them, I can't help him anymore. I, I, I tell him to get a new hobby. I was like, that is awesome. Cause this guy, Robert Plant's been consistently for the last, however long been making records and he's making the kind of records he wants to make like these old 60s psychedelic bands that people barely know of where these guys lost their mind on drugs and and like ended up insane asylums he's making like tribute albums to them it's what? crazy it's like he's doing a completely different style of music and he's has no interest in doing zeppelin again well he can afford to have that added they all can afford it i mean they're all worth like each guy's worth like a couple hundred million i mean you know how much publishing those guys pull down a year? And forever it'll be like that. I, Everyone buys the Zeppelin. Well, and this this you'll love. How old do you figure Robert Plant is right about now? He's got to be late 60s. It's probably older than that, man. Wouldn't wouldn't you guess? Well, anyway. I mean, I'm 46. He's got to be at least 20 years old. Anyway, around there, uh, you go. I go out to Joshua Tree quite a bit, and there's a uh, restaurant out there that everybody goes to. Like all the local musicians go out there, hang out, and they get up and perform and stuff. And inside there, there's pictures of Robert Plant, and everybody in there was saying, "Yeah, when he came in here, he had like an 18 year old girlfriend." I'm like, "That's good for him." Yeah, I was like, "That's a that's still a fucking baller move." Oh, dude. He never. Well, if he can still get it, he's gonna get it, man. Well, Ted Nugent. I mean, he 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 was he loved those. Oh girls. well, I mean, he was yeah, and he was marrying him too. It's a different era back then, though. I mean, you you could be winger and have a song called "She's Only 17 and you get a platinum record. Now you'd be getting jail. That's true, man. You're right. Well, and then uh, there's another song where uh, well, some kiss. Well, no, there was uh, yeah. That, there's some other song where the whole song's about him singing about like. Uh, you know, being in love with a 17 year old girl and knowing that it's wrong. The whole song. It's like basically like 
Well, Jesus. Kiss had that song, Christine 16. And like in the chorus, Gene's like, that day I saw you coming out of school. I just knew I've got to have you. I've got to have you. And then Ace wobbles off into a guitar solo. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, you, you couldn't have a song like that in this day and age. Fucking wobbles off. Oh, well, the Ace, you know, he was, he was a lost soul back then. Now, what was your main mus- uh, musical instrument that you played? I played guitar. And who were your influences? Um, Slash. Uh, I really liked that that Weezer guitar sound. And there was a band called Pavement that I was really into. I liked his guitar sound, which was kind of funny because uh, I think the the weirdness in their sound was that they weren't great musicians. So they would grab an odd key or, or like an odd note here and there. And I remember some of the classes they'd say bring in a song and we'll dissect it and I remember bringing it in and the teacher was just like almost holding her ear and she was just like oh I don't know if I can listen anymore this is like maybe some of the worst musicianship I've ever heard and I was like that's that's funny that you know she she can't look at it as music she looks at it as as a different thing a different thing altogether yeah totally a completely different thing and another friend of mine said the same thing as I listened to this man he goes I just I feel like when you go to record, you should have practiced the shit out of the song and just nail it. He goes, these guys sound like they're almost half making it up on the spot. And I go, that's what I like about it. Well, you should uh, track down that teacher and show her a Vinnie Vincent's hour and a half guitar instruction video. That'll... <laughs> Does he ever instruct anything? Because no, I saw he just plays. some of his guitar solo, and they said that was the main reason they had to get rid of him was like the guitar solo is just, they went from like being four minutes to eight to 18. He was out of his mind. I mean, you know, there was a great uh, YouTube clip of him kiss in Montreal, lick it up tour, and you know he's doing his solo, and then Gene and Paul are kind of. Did you ever get to see him live in no, any way? No, never. I, the first time I saw Kiss was in uh, 1991, Long Beach Arena, Hot in the Shade tour with uh, Winger and Slaughter. <laughs> Which is kind of funny because Slaughter was the Vinnie Vincent, Vincent invasion, yeah. basically. Minus the original singer, uh, uh, Robert Fleischman, who sang on the first Vinnie Vincent album, but he was the original singer in Journey. Oh, really? Yeah, he sang on the demos, and then uh, Wheels in the Sky, I think he wrote, or co-wrote. Holy shit. And wow. Then, uh, you know, they, they I think the, someone from the record label was like, we need someone with a more... Uh, anthemic type voice for radio and so he got kind of fucked over but back then they could do that i mean isn't that such a crazy business now that you would never welcome to hollywood you never i mean i remember when i was i was doing a band i remember the guy who was recording me he was also in the band we moved to california ended up in the same hostel together and we're the only two from our entire guitar class that are still here and he said when we were recording goes the beauty of our style is that we can keep playing this tour 50 because nobody cares what we look like. This style of music, just nobody cares anymore. It's a tough business, look, man. Well, look at Flaming Lips for crying out loud, dude. They're, uh, they've got to be, I think he's got to be almost 50. And he, he's got Miley Cyrus on her Instagram doing Photoshop pictures of her and him in various uh, scenarios almost every day, multiple times a day. She's got, he's got a, like a 20 year old girl obsessed with him all the time. That's great. <laughs> yeah right I well, wish I did. if you're gonna have somebody doing it it's, it's got to be somebody that's extremely popular like that thank god is that helping their record sales it's, it's got to because their new record is um 
It's a tribute to. Uh, well, I don't know if you know anything about them, but I don't. They they're maybe one of the most inventive bands of all time. But one of the things they did about three years ago is they redid the entire Dark Side of the Moon album, their style. Took oh. all the songs, even changed some of the tempos, but they just wanted, they said like, we wanted to see what you could do if they had the instruments that we have now and we wanted to make it. So they made it a tribute. Now they just released one of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club, the whole thing, the whole album, their, their way. And she's all over it. Oh, wow. Her, wow. I think in Moby is also. So it's a pretty big deal. I mean, she, she performed with them on uh, Conan O'Brien and, uh, I mean that is interesting to see like what what would Jimi Hendrix, you know how would he play if he had like a, you know 2014 Jackson Flying V. Well, not only that, dude, but uh, you know I had friends that were big Hendrix fans, and when I started playing, that's what I learned how to play was Jimi Hendrix and Jimmy Page and stuff like that. And he only used really two pedals. He used a fuzz face and he used a Vox wah pedal to get like the you know the basically for lack of better description the hulk hogan nwo theme that kind of guitar right. sound that that chunky yeah that stuff he only used really those two pedals now you have guys that have like modulating consoles that have literally over 100 effects that they can program and loop and they can play one riff and just loop it through the whole song and they can solo over that they can do whatever they want i watched a guy come up with a uh, percussion beat on his strings just by like playing them like a bongo record a measure of that that was the drums then he put the bass on with like his low string of his guitar had that looped in and then was playing solos through the whole thing and you're like he doesn't need a band now and imagine what Jimi hendrix could have done if he had any of those kind of pedals and that the kind of technology they're using today oh yeah i mean you know you see steve stevens from billy idol he his uh thing he uses in concert it looks like a piano i mean he's got so many more power to him man why not it's the great steve stevens well man. and you're getting to a point in music where like so much has been done that why not experiment with it experiment with what you can do that actually that was one of the cool things about flaming lips that when i first got into if you were trying to replicate their sound it was fucking hard to do because their guitar player was this crazy electronics maniac and he would go to thrift stores buy pedals and then he would take them apart and rewire them and make get his own sounds out of them so you could never get that sound unless you were him sounds like tom Schultz. shots Schultz uh, from boston right he was known for doing crazy shit like that wasn't he well he was like an mit grad uh so he he was so smart he was probably too smart for his own good uh they recorded the whole boston album which i think is uh might be the best-selling debut ever uh, uh more than a feeling was probably the opening song wasn't it yeah but i'm i it's one of if it's not the number one debut album of all time it's the it's in the one of the top three right uh he, they recorded it in his uh garage that's awesome. He set up a great scam where the uh, record company paid all this money for to fly the band to L.A. to record, and he kept the money and and bought well, all this gear. And, brilliant. And created some of it. And uh, but you know he's kind of famous for not releasing just anything, and he takes forever. And that's I think what killed the singer. He's like, I want to just sing. Right. And so. That's a rough man, man. That's really rough, and that's why I quit doing bands. Is like you, when you have a lot of guys, you have a lot of people that you have to uh, accommodate schedules to, and it, it holds you back. I mean, you, 
being a comic's perfect for that. You have nobody else deciding when you're doing your gig. It's you. You don't well, have to. Well, you do, actually. Well, but you don't have to go, hey, is the drummer going to be available that night or is he going to have to watch his kid? Is the bass player going to be at a wedding that night? I was encountering all that shit trying to set up tours. Well, that's the good thing. But then the bad thing is if you're, uh, you know, if you're in a shitty band, uh, you can turn around and blame the drummer for not being able to keep a beat. Right. If you're a shitty comic, you can't turn around at the curtain. What do you do? You know what's funny, Earl, is I think I would say that you're probably one of the funniest people I know. I would agree Hand, with that. Hands down. I'm just kidding. No, no. Hands down, man. From the first from the time that I started going to the comedy store and, and I hope you take this as a compliment, but you're one of those guys that when you grew up watching TV shows, there was always that fucking one guy on a TV show that was the memorable one, whether it was fucking Cliff Clavin or it was uh who it could have been anybody you're that guy just naturally like the guy in green acres he was mr haney guy. yeah yeah totally you're that guy and i think that's i noticed that about you right away from the back of the room the shit you would say i would go this guy is one of the fucking funniest people i've ever heard and i feel like nobody gets to see that side of you outside the comedy store and it's like nobody's you know a lot of the ding dong show stuff it's it's such a like kind of small group that but everybody loves you that's in it oh yeah i mean you know it's, it's like like i like i if i were your agent well, i don't have one really see that's the thing i would i would say that your agent's failing because what they should be sending you out on is is uh those kind of zany parts because you just have a natural thing about you and i feel like dean del rey's the same way you guys both have just this you're you and there's no acting about it like you're just a unique comical character just being yourself and and you're likable really fucking likable well i mean you know it's there's a lot of uh you know uh 15 years into the business uh there's a lot that's out of your control and uh, oh definitely yeah definitely there's a lot out of your control but uh the funniest people you'll rarely see make it <laughs> i know isn't that sucks. that is funny man that's funny how that works but I, I always believe that the good people do end up winning in the end. I, I mean, and you know, I, and you're a good guy to everybody. You really are. You, you. There's nobody that you wouldn't help out. I mean, I'm not really, uh, into, you know, I can't really help many people out. I mean, but. Uh, I'm saying as a person, man, you're just a like you. You're willing to help people. You give advice. You, you, you warn people that are starting out what to look out for, what kind of gigs not to do. You're real good about that shit, and you don't take advantage of people. Well, I could, yeah, I can definitely tell people what gigs not to do, or, <laughs> you know, I see these female comics, specifically mainly at the comedy store, uh, and I see these creepy guys. You know, there's this one comic who's just known to be a creep, and he's just a drunk, and... Yeah, uh, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> you know, he... <laughs> and, uh, you know, I told this one girl, you know, who he was moving in on, uh, hey, you know, you should watch out for this guy. He's, you know, I, I can tell you what he's going to do. He's going to ask you to tour with him and then he'll try and fuck you. Yeah. And if you don't, he won't, you know, mysteriously, your tour dates will uh, disappear. And that's exactly what happened to her. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Uh, you know, for someone who has. Uh, for all the jokes that are out there about the casting couch and shit. There's a reason those jokes exist. Well, it's out and there it's in comedy. For real. Yeah, it's happening for real. There's no question. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, especially if you see like a, 
a female uh, comic, uh, you know, who's not been doing it a long time and all of a sudden they're opening up for someone at the improv. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it happens in the gay comedy world too. I mean, well, uh, yeah, I was going to say there's a lot of people that rise in the ranks that I don't understand at all how they're getting anywhere. Well, it's just schmoozing and ass kissing. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I was probably myself just speaking for my, uh, thing with that uh you know i'll just work hard you know and that ain't enough man no it's not man it sucks because that's not my personality anymore when i moved out here i was very much a uh i could go into a room and talk to anybody i'm not so much that way anymore i don't really you i really have to do i know i really don't like i don't really like talking to a lot of people i don't like small talk and i feel like a lot of times that does that does hold me back it's funny though that Somehow being at the comedy store, my, uh, my personalities kind of pop through enough for, for me not being as social as I, uh, as I used to be that I've actually been able to make friends because a lot of times I'll go there in the whole night, just not talk to anybody purposely. Like I just go and hang out and hide away and just don't want to talk, you know? Yeah. But everyone likes you up there and, uh, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have any enemies and, and, but you know, you're also not trying to do comedy. So, you know, you don't right, really, you know, that's one of those things. It's just like ever Don and like, you know, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of people have asked me about that. Like why I don't want to do it. And it's like, I was in a band for like fucking 10 years. I just don't really, I don't have the need to perform in front of people anymore. I like, I like, I always enjoyed the recording of the albums more than performing live. And, uh, and now it's the same way. I like filming stuff, but I don't really care for performing it. Did, did you have something to say, Earl? No, no, no. I was going to say, what brought you to the comedy store? I mean, you know, it, it seems like everyone ends up there instead of the improv, the laugh right. factory. What? I mean, were you just driving by and? Well, uh, I got into podcasting and uh, Joey, Joey Diaz was the first person that I was listening to and he talked about the comedy store a lot, a lot of his stories. And then a lot of the people that he would have on as guest, I was a huge fan of. And uh, they pretty much all performed at the comedy store. So um, Sam Tripoli and I had a mutual friend and uh, Sam and I found out we were friends or we were big Clippers fans. So uh, I had an extra ticket one day and he went to a game and he started inviting me to the comedy store. And I think it was like the second time I went, Tommy was working the door both times. Your boy Tommy Morris was uh, working the door, and I think the second time he goes, oh, Sam Tripoli put you on the guest list again. You must be a pretty important guy. And uh, I think he just thought maybe I worked for uh, you know an agent or something like that, and he just, ever since then, whenever he'd see me, he'd just wave me on in, and that's how I pretty much started hanging out. And now I think he's doing the uh, opening of an open mic, so... Well, uh, he... Uh, the mighty have fallen. He's, he's the talent advisor to that place well i hope uh, as he as he said well i mean let's talk about what the the text message i sent you last week earl do you remember what i sent you well, you sent me the video right no someone i didn't send me a video <laughs> no i didn't send you the video but uh someone did i was uh I, I left the comedy store about midnight and uh i walked home i live pretty far away but i the the events in the night i had ended up with a bunch of different people and i didn't have my car so i walked home and i passed by this place that we had seen tommy earlier just he was sitting at the bar earlier the night of this opening for this comedy club and as i'm walking back i look in the window and he's playing acoustic guitar 
There you go. Nobody really listening. A couple of people like milling around the front doorway talking or whatever. And I go in there and I sit down with uh, an ex waitress from the comedy store who works there now. Laura. She's the the best. The the beloved Laura who was, uh, was fired unfortunately for some ridiculous, in my opinion, she was a very great waitress and didn't deserve to be fired. Yeah, I've known um, her the longest, though. It's this is like a. I met her like seven years ago. Really? Yeah, she, I, she, her boyfriend at the time, uh, the great Fred Fortune. Uh, <laughs> I he, knew nothing about her story, so this is news to me. Well, I, you know, I, I try not to tell too many stories. Like no, this but I know you're respectful about things. No, I mean, I mean, like, I would love to. I'm sure people are going, "Who the fuck is Fred Fortune and who's Laura?" And, right. Uh, the, Laura's great waitress at the comedy store, and. Uh, I met her seven years ago when she was dating this comic. And uh, so I've known her probably the longest out of anyone here. And she invites me to do her show weekly. And I say, I, I just can't be in the same room as Tommy. I just can't. Really? So. Well, let uh, me finish my story and then we'll get into that. Uh, so, I, so I walk in and I start listening to Tommy with his eyes closed, singing his song. Sound like probably an original song. And uh, he gets done and he starts tuning his guitar strings. One of them had went out and he's, as he's tuning it, he starts, he says hi to me and he says, you know, people are going to wonder, they're going to ask me, why are you helping this club out? And I'm going to say, because they asked me to, if anybody asked me, I'll help them. And then he starts checking his guitar string by playing dueling banjos, the theme from Deliverance. Well, there you go. I mean, <laughs> that doesn't sum up Tommy. I don't know what does. Immediately thought of you, Earl. <laughs> Immediately thought of you. Now, what I know, I understand that you know Tommy definitely did not give you spots, and Jason Galern and Jason Tebow and people who I think are really fucking funny. Um, do you you hate him that? I mean, no, I I don't hate him at all. I mean, uh, probably the most popular, not in terms of numbers, but the one that people come up to me the most uh, of every episode I've done of this show it is the Tommy uh, right. episode I that I imagine. did with uh, Amy Hawthorne and Matt Edgar. Uh, you know, it's weird. You would think me and him would be friends because... Right. He always said hi to you. You guys always talked in the hallway. I uh, mean... Uh, like the same show. You know, he, he's a big Sons of Anarchy guy. Right. Uh, I tried to get him into The Shield because it's, you know, done by Kurt Sutter right. as well. And uh, we like the same music. And you're uh, a funny guy, which like... He, you know, I would think that your type of humor would be of interest to him. In fact, I know what he likes about Dean is that he says like Dean's doing like something that nobody else at the, like nobody else is doing that kind of thing, you know, that, yeah. that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I he mean, gives I him don't spots, know. you know, you know, uh, you know I, I don't know what got Did lost. you call in for avails and he just wouldn't give you spots? Or? Oh, no. I didn't even get to that far with him. Uh, and then toward the end, he was like doing these really weird things. Like he told someone very, very, very high up at the comedy store, I'm Earl's the next guy I'm going to pass. And he knew that they would tell me. Uh, so within two minutes of him telling... Uh, this person that I get a phone call, dude, you're going to be passed, uh, you know, within the next couple of weeks. And I, I know in my heart, Tommy just did that just to fuck with my head. Why? So, I don't know. I never, 
Uh, like, I, I mean, mean, I did an impression of him, but everyone did. Right. You know, and, right. And, and you made it, you made it fucking funny. But I mean, it, so there's no other reason. He just, I think, uh, you know, and, I, and I've stood up for him uh, in the. Because I remember there was a big, there was a period of time where you wouldn't come to the comedy store anymore. Well, it's just what's the point, you know? Right. You didn't want to be around. And Tebow did the same thing. I remember it was like you both. I, I asked you. I was like, "Are you guys okay? I haven't seen you in a while." And you both said, "Like, you know, I'm just, I'm not gonna go there anymore. If I'm not doing spots, I'm not gonna be there." Well, I mean, yeah. After a certain point, it's like, uh, you know, uh, are you getting spots now? I mean, I'm not past, but I, I've got gotten... No, well, dude, I don't think anybody's been past since the changeover has... Have they? Well, no, I think uh, from what I understand that... Uh, and, you know, I don't talk to Adam about... Adam's the new talent coordinator, for uh-huh. those of you who don't, yeah. uh, you know, know the comedy From the great Norm McDonald podcast. Yeah, no, he's he's really... He's a funny guy himself, yeah. uh, although he's not a comic, you know. Uh, yeah, he's he's another one. Yeah, he's just got a unique personality that... Yeah, he's like almost like Christian Bale in American Psycho. Yeah, uh, but I don't talk about uh, spots with Adam because we we were friends long before. So right, I right. Never want. But to. isn't he the guy you put your veils in with? Or? Well, now, now, but it's uh, they're called development spots. Uh-huh. So it's the next, it's the final step before getting passed. So and then you showcase and then yeah, you know, hopefully you get passed. Now, do you have an hour that you're working out? I know I, I feel like I now I'm interviewing you, but I do wonder because our great our friend David Taylor, maybe one of the funniest people I've ever met. Also, I put you and oh, if yeah. I could have a dream podcast, it would be like you, Don, and David Taylor in in a room together, because David Taylor never when you go see him perform, he never does the same set twice, and then all of a sudden. He did. He was doing the same set. And I asked him about it and he said, yeah, somebody here saw me, like an agent saw me and said, you really need to put together an hour's worth of material that, that you're working on instead of just going up there and like, you know, doing a few things here and there and then like insulting the crowd. You can't really get away with doing that for, an, you know, especially if you want to be on TV. And he does. He wants to be on TV. So well, everyone does. Yeah. So, I mean, is that something you, because I've seen you a handful of times and I never see you do the same material Unless I provoke it, unless I ask you about like, well, I've got Vinnie the classic bits. You know, there's the gay sports bar bit, and uh, <laughs> you know, which is a true story, actually. Yeah. You know, uh, I've probably got, uh, I mean, hours of material. I'm not saying I could sit up there and do five hours. Right, but, but like, what would you showcase with? Do you, have you thought about? Oh that? yeah. What I would, mean, how you would set it up? Do you do you ever go up and do a set and go? I'm going to pretend this is my showcase night and see how it goes with well, the crowd. Well, six minutes showcase. I mean, you know, people under, don't understand. I think, uh, you know, TV sets on like a, a typical late night show, Conan or right, are four and a half minutes. And not only that, but what we found, uh, Paul Morrissey said he's like. Then you, you put together a four and a half minute set, something happens, they're interviewing somebody, and the next thing you know, you, during the show, you got a guy coming up to you going, hey, by the way, you got to take it down to about 4.05 now. Yeah, and that's very... Because this person's running long, and then it's, now you got to take it down to 3.37, and you're thinking, holy shit, how do I trim a bit down to that, or what bits can I do that will fit into that exact time yeah. frame or they'll just cut you off I mean, right they, right they'll have uh, winston play the, dun, dun, the dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well i mean i saw ian bag once i went with him when he did i think it was ferguson 
not the city, but uh, you know Craig Ferguson, and yeah. it was crazy. Like he's about to go on, and he's like, "Hey, you can't say that word now." And there's like literally thirty seconds before he was going to go on, they had him switch some joke or, or something along those lines, and then uh, you know it was very controlled of uh, you know environments, so, right? Uh, but you know, yeah. I don't think I would. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff I don't think I would enjoy doing. But you have to play the game. I mean, you absolutely, know, you want to eventually get on TV because you know that's you know if you look at any comedy club marquee it's it's not the fun necessarily the funniest people on the marquee it's who has the tv credits yeah so, you're definitely getting right about that but uh and in some cases they are the funniest and uh did you ever have an interest in becoming a wrestler no i'm not big enough man i mean i'm only about six one two yeah, but you have the whole personality like i could be a manager you would have been great for for that kind of that kind of character role though, like being in a character at all times. Oh, manager. Yeah. Have you thought about that? Yeah. The travels too much for them. I mean, they're on, you know, but I would love to, I used to go to XPW shows, which was, a. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was like man, a low, lived, yeah. low budget ECW, but a hundred times more violent. I mean, some of the stunts I saw was just like, you know, they, they threw Vic Grimes from a scaffold onto a bed of nails. And these were real nails. Wow. These were yeah. not fake. <laughs> and uh, his whole back is bleeding. The nails are stuck in him. They're trying to get out the nail. And I mean, these weren't like, these were like. Right, right. Like those eight inch nail or six yeah. inch nails or whatever. Yeah. Like if you saw the Adams family, I forget who slept. I think it was uh, Uncle Fester yeah, slept, slept on, on a it. bed of nails. <laughs> yeah. That's what it looked like. Holy cow. And I've seen. Uh, this, they, they had this bald guy named Supreme who was like a, a short King Kong Bundy. And uh, this one show at, uh, I think, Birmingham High School, I, I, he almost got killed twice. And this girl next to me is crying and she had a kid. I'm like, well, why are you crying? It's not that, you know, it's not really real. And she's like, that's my husband. So Whoa! Because so, they put him up on this 40-foot ladder. And they to this day, I still don't know why they the, the ring was configured configured like this but they had three sides had ropes the one side didn't so he was so fucking fat. Ran out of ropes well yeah oh yeah absolutely probably had to use ropes in the bondage thing they were doing the next day <laughs> he was supreme was so fat that the ladder broke and he fell on the edge where there were no ropes and his rib cage literally hit the edge oh and he was down for like 20 minutes and so then they got him back up there again. Did and they, they count him out or did the match keep going? No, nah, they were just kind of making <laughs> sure he wasn't it. dead. And then they put another ladder in the center of the ring that was even bigger than the first ladder. So you knew this thing was going to break. Yeah. And that what the stunt was going to be is they tipped the ladder over and he's supposed to land on this like almost like a pool table of like broken light bulbs, uh, you know, shrapnel. Oh, Jesus. So they tip him over and he overshoots the table he was supposed to land on and lands right on the cement. It was crazy. Oh, and this was live. And the wife is right next to me or girlfriend. Uh, and Mistress. then uh, he was down for like, they had to stop the show. And Did you put your arm around her, make sure she was no, all right. Was like, I'm not messing with Supreme's girl. And then it was, they were great because, the ring announcer would uh, do the Nazi goose step to the ring. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Oh, he was great. I don't remember his name, but he uh, he he was in like a 
you know, like a Nazi outfit and he'd be going like this to the oh, ring. Oh, man, then, that's know. the only place you can get away with that kind of crazy nonsense, man. But then the gay, they had this gay wrestler named Angel and his finishing move was, you know, whatever he would do to you, he'd like hit you and like do his scorpion death drop or whatever. And then you'd end up on all fours and he would pretend to have anal sex with you three times like instead of <laughs> and it was uh, just it was wild stuff like that you know just there's got to be footage of this out there oh yeah i used to buy their dvds i think they got <laughs> shut down because <laughs> rob black who was the owner of xpw had a uh on their website he had a picture a live like a skype type of picture of a puppy uh somewhere in could have been in his garage and uh they were advertising that they were going to kill the puppy live on uh, the internet. And I think they got, Jesus, they, some they got shut down, you know, wow. or something. You know. Have you considered uh, tracking any of those guys down have them on the podcast? Those are people I would love. I would love to have the Rob black on just to go. What were you thinking, man? I mean, what was, you know, cause you want like, you know, when I first started this podcast, it's like I just want to interview my friends and you, you know, uh, just get something out there. And then you kind of see the numbers aren't the greatest. Uh, although now I think people like this one will get good numbers just because people are like, oh, okay, Earl's they're catching like, up on that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, back in the early days, you know, not very many people listened, and so that's when I started to reach out to you know celebrities to varying degrees. You know, I would say uh, to any of your listeners that haven't listened to all of them, the David Arquette one might be one of my all-time favorite podcasts. You want to talk about a guy who did it all? Couldn't have, couldn't have been more positive. If you're looking for any kind of um, motivational speaker or anybody to kind of motivate you, listen to that podcast because throughout that whole thing, you just kind of he just keeps going back and and telling you why he's so positive and what you have to and what you a, have to what you have to believe in your in your head but when you go out and live in the world to, to be happy and i thought that was an awesome podcast from a, a pretty big actor yeah and but his the problem with that one with the numbers anyway is he's not on twitter he's not right. on facebook so you know i did the best i could right uh like you know when steven piercy was on he sent out one tweet and i literally got like 400 listens in an hour Wow. Uh, and the same thing with uh, Bobby Brown, the, the Tony. cherry pie girl. And yeah. Tony Katain sent out one tweet. Rob Schneider sent out a tweet uh, and literally got 500 listens in like 20 minutes because he's got like 180,000. I was showing Jeff Richards your uh, your picture from the Rob Schneider thing and he started doing the Earl impression. How, what do you think of that? Do it's you, pretty good. Do you like it? There's one other guy. Uh, he's a death squad uh fan freddie korea and he calls into punch drunk and uh, <laughs> oh yeah that's who's doing it okay yeah he does a great earl impression but you got to really like richard's probably i would say the best impression of me is uh stewart thompson does a good one he's a comedy store really funny comic at the store he, he does a pretty good one uh but i would say uh it doesn't offend you at all. I mean, because no. I know you're a guy that doesn't take a whole lot seriously or a whole lot offensive or anything. That's why but, I haven't made it. Yet. But a lot of people, 
Yeah, but a lot of people don't like wouldn't like an impression of them. Well, I think Dean Del Rey had. Uh, I don't know if he quite liked it when Sandy was doing it. Well, he what he didn't like was like he said he's like you're ba- you're basically doing my material before I'm I'm up doing it or but the I don't nights think, that I'm doing it. Uh, I don't think Sandy was doing any jokes that Dean would do. I think Sandy was just almost. Uh, May you know Dean's such a he character. had nailed it yeah he had nailed it it was funny to watch but yeah I mean I could see not wanting to do him. Down going, yeah yeah so uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean Sandy's a great impressionist up there uh, you know Tebow uh, d- does a really good Boone Chocolat he did a, he did a really good Jason Galern standing right next to Jason Galern yeah. and I got the feeling Jason didn't like it and I was like yeah I don't know if I'd like it either I don't know if I'd like somebody picking figuring out my mannerisms and the things that are weird about me and, and, you know, capturing your essence. I have to get Jason Glenn back a bit, a bit of inappropriate oral history. He, along with the Jason Washington were the very first podcast. Uh, they were episode one, but unfortunately, uh, I was recording it uh, through something that wasn't plugged in. So it's uh, <laughs> it's the first ever episode of Inappropriate Earl. Sounds like I was recording it through a faucet. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a bit of a history. That's an unaired uh, episode that I've tried to clean up with some of my tech friends who are, you know, uh, and that's one of the cool things about you know, getting fans like Death Squad fans, Ding Oh, show yeah, fans, those guys they can try figure and help out your you. problems for you, yeah. So, and I'm very computer illiterate. Uh, I, I don't know much. Uh, I'm uh, the same as you, man. I can I can barely figure out how to hook up a Nintendo to a TV, so. I mean, Ari Manis, who's uh, really was the producer of this show before. Uh, I you think know. Boone's been aggravating him. Oh, really? Well, you know, Boone Chakalaka, for those of you... Lots of shoulder rubs without consent. Yeah, Boone is a uh, homeless, uh, transgendered uh, freak. Soul the, singer. Yeah, but he's actually, you know, he, he hangs out at the comedy store. He's one of the, if you ever go to the comedy store, you'll meet him. Uh, or if, you, if you're if you looking to meet him, go to Amoeba Records. Yeah. I, I can't count how many times I've been walking around and seen Boone sitting on the floor of the uh, R&B section looking through CDs. Yeah, basically Boone steals merchandise from stores, goes up to the comedy store and sells it for a dollar. And, uh, you know, he's kind of a comic, I guess you'd say. Uh, he performs, so. To a degree. And uh, and he's in, like, he's got to be, like, 60 or something. So he's, he's literally, like, you know, the comedy store to me is always uh, the best way to describe it to people. You know, because uh, we had a lot of Canadian listeners and, and people from beyond. It's like the bar in Star Wars. Yeah, it is. A- anything goes. The crazier, the better. Yeah, I mean, it's literally every like Star Wars. The uh, cantina was like. I think the line was every unsavory character in the galaxy is here. Uh, the comedy store, uh, every unsavory person in the world of comedy, L.A. comedy is there. I mean, you've got. Pimps, pedophiles, coke dealers, freaks, normal people. Have you have you always attracted just kind of weirdos? Yeah, anywhere I, I go. So I, I always have too, man. I, I always have. I, I, I've always found the humor in the people around me. It's I was just, thinking of you yesterday, actually. I was at this place and I was sitting next to this girl. And next thing I know, 
she like lifts her legs up as though she's stretching them out and then lifts her, her fucking legs all the way behind her head, Earl. She starts telling me she's an aerialist and used to be she used to be like an award-winning stripper. And she moved out here like was try, is not going to do that stuff anymore. But to entertain me the rest of the time we were there, she kept doing shit like that or she'd get up and start dancing like a stripper. And then she did ha- a handstand and was like, moving her legs around like an, I mean just doing all this crazy shit so I was like you have to come to the comedy store with me yeah, well y- I mean these people have to see this in action yeah, oh yeah I should probably get uh, well I don't you know the comedy store is the best place on earth but it's uh, you know if you're a girl who can put your legs behind your ears it might not be the best place for you <laughs> but what I told her is I said I said we'll go up there and hang out and I said you'll find all kinds of different scenarios where you can do ridiculous things whenever you want I said if there's ever a place that you can just do do a fucking handstand out of nowhere and nobody think a thing of it that's it oh yeah for god's I mean, sakes people have gotten blowjobs on the stage as part of an act i was there that night <laughs> well it's happened more than once from what i understand well just the other night uh at the, after ari shafir's uh comedy special taping which was great and you know he killed it and you know just a good buzz up yeah, there uh, there regular some crazy stripper there toward the end of the night and uh kenny lyons who's a young uh comic up there he's kind of crazy guy but he's pretty funny <laughs> he's awesome yeah. he's one of the new characters yeah he's definitely a character she uh he was begging her uh to touch or see her tits and she's like well you got to do something you're not gonna just do that for free how about and she points to sunset jesus uh, uh-huh kevin if, yeah if you've ever been to la you've seen this guy a huge guy who walks around looks just like jesus uh that's uh kevin lee Light. less wounds but yes yeah i mean no wounds in the hands but uh you know i think he's on facebook as kevin lee light or yes. he's just known as sunset jesus uh she points to him and goes well suck his big toe and you know kevin walks around all day so yeah in sandals in sandals so the foot at three in the morning probably has a pretty good funk to it and <laughs> kenny without hesitation started deep throating oh were you watching kevin's this? toe and then she said to kenny get on the uh, cement and she sat on his face for five minutes so panties or no panties panties okay so that's what you see at the comedy store you're not going to get that at the improv or uh you know hermosa magic club so have, have any of your girlfriends had problems with you going to the comedy store well, my last uh, two, uh, three, really, uh, you know, girlfriends or girls I was dating seriously, uh, uh, you know, have been in the entertainment business. So you right, know, but not, but they didn't perform a lot there, uh, right? N- Did well, they? Uh, no, not really. So yeah, they they have because it's because I, well, you know, what I was getting, I would get a lot. Like it, you know, you start dating them and they know that you go to the comedy store and they go and they have fun with you for a while and then all of a sudden it becomes, well, I don't know what you're doing when I'm not there. And those guys are a bad influence because I know the kind of stuff that goes on when I'm there and I can only imagine what goes on when I'm not. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, my, uh, I can imagine a lot of relationships have ended from people just hanging out at the comedy store. Oh, yeah, because uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, innuendos and rumors. And, I mean, I lost one girlfriend because of the comedy store. Uh, someone told her, you know, Earl's... Uh, fucking this girl and i wasn't actually right and uh can i can i tell i'm not gonna say who the comic no names no names Uh, yeah i'm not gonna say who the comic is but uh a very great comic and somebody that i have a lot of respect for 
uh, one night told me, he said, uh, you've been accepted by the people at the comedy store. And those people, you think that they're your gang. You think that they're your buddies and they, you think that a lot of them are your friends. And he goes, and that's what I thought. And he goes, but what'll happen is he said, a lot of those people will have a way or they'll have a project. They can help you out. They can put you on, they can do something. They'll, you know, he goes, but they won't. And then you'll get there on your own. He's like, mark my words, five years from now, your face will be on billboards. And those will be the guys. Those will be the people there that, that come up and, you don't ever do anything for us, Mr. Big Shot. You you don't help. You don't put us in anything. He said, you'll see people stab you in the back as quickly as they can. He goes, so know who, know who you're talking to and what you're telling them yeah. at all times. Keep your friends close and your enemies close. Exactly. At the exactly. comedy store. Like, I know, like, if and when I do eventually get past, uh, you know, I don't think there's too many people who will be like, oh, that shouldn't happen. Right. But I'm sure there'll Everybody be someone. Everybody loves you. Yeah. Dangling, well, why did I get past? I, you know, I, I, yeah. I was. On he must show. have done. Yeah, you're yeah. gonna hear it all here, no. and yeah. that's me. So I can only imagine what people who don't. Uh, is that your number one goal in comedy? Would you say? No, it's definitely not. Uh, what, what, what is your on TV? What, what, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking to. I mean, the only reason I want to get past at the store is not to get my name on the wall. Right, right. Because, frankly, there's homeless people who have their name on the wall. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. You know, there's. Yeah, right. I would say probably 30%. Are you talking about Bob? Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean his name is on the wall. Yeah. So that ruins anything in terms of that uh, meaning much. And I, sadly, I'm being serious. Uh, and there's, you know, I would say, you know, 30, 40% of the names on that wall uh, haven't worked in 15 years or, or shouldn't have their names on the wall in the first place. Right. Uh, so that's, you know, it would be one thing if every name on the wall was Louis C.K., uh, Carlin, uh, Pryor, you know. Uh, right. You know, Whitney Cummings, D'Elia. Think of know. how many Think of how many of those names are all that you mentioned on the wall are just like people that we were talking about earlier that did a couple of spots, fucked a couple of people, next thing you know they were they were up on the wall oh yeah and i think it's well known under the previous uh talent coordinator that uh you know some people were passed purely on uh non-comedy reasons let's just say that um so you know i just want this like the other night i got to go up in front of bob saget right dude who is a very fucking funny guy a lot of people don't get his dry humor but i I love might be when i saw him on entourage maybe one of the best characters anybody's ever done on a tv show yeah i mean if if it was just guys like his name on the wall norm mcdonald uh you know rob schneider i go okay then i I would love to see how was your set in front of bob I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I rarely kill. Uh, I, you know, I always do pretty well. But you know, I just. I think I was inspired. Like, wow, comedy legends yeah. watching me. Uh, so I really stepped it up, and you know, went to some of my. I don't want to say a material, but like, uh, you know, like I know he likes kind of a dirtier humor. Yeah, he does. So you know, I did my uh, Philadelphia joke and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Not the city. The the uh, I have this joke <laughs> that I'll I will only do if I know I have the crowd in my hand because it's a risky joke. It could turn the room, um, and it real 
quickly is you know people ask me uh well you live in west hollywood uh, have you ever seen the movie philadelphia and i'm like uh, listen if i want to see a guy dying of aids i'll just go to pavilions <laughs> <laughs> and i literally saw bob saget tear up <laughs> and he was with his really uh hot chick and uh, probably hot young she was crying like That's laughing awesome. and then i just went into uh, another gay joke uh, See, you'd be a great person to be going on the road opening for him. Yeah, but in that's in front of that crowd. That's the only reason I want to get past at the store because to it, get other uh, uh, just uh, to get an credibility opportunity to perform in front of a Bob Saget or you know maybe you know one night I'm on stage and maybe Delia walks by and he's never really seen me go up before. Right. Uh, All pretenses aside, like how do you feel about seeing uh, if you follow the comedy store Twitter seeing uh now up doing a pop in set John Mayer in the main room. How does that fucking strike you, dude? I mean, he's a nice guy, so uh and one roast battle, he was the funniest part. Uh which is a wacky show. I, I think everyone knows yeah. what roast battle is by now. Um I mean, you know, Rowdy Piper got passed by Tommy, so and he's great. Yeah. So it's just like it it you know, like I said before, it's it's not you know, you just have to realize in, in the comedy world, uh, it, the, the funniest people don't get past. Uh, although under Adam, I think it will go a little bit towards that. Uh, I would, I hope so. I mean, I don't think you're gonna. I don't think. Uh, I, and I don't know who Adam's gonna pass. I hope he doesn't feel the pressure of like I can't pass this guy. You know, yet because people think because he's my friend, I passed him, and I gotta wait. You know, but I two, mean, I, two or three rounds to do that. Because, man, I, you know, you've seen the changes that have been made in the last oh, probably year. We never know what's gonna happen. For all we know, I mean, they could sell the place. They could, Adam could be yeah. gone. Yeah. All these managers could be gone at any day. Things just are changing. Oh yeah, I mean, more every, than they ever have before. There, everyone comes up to me just knowing that me and Adam are friends. Going, oh man, you you must feel really happy and like psyched and right. Uh, I like, bet every yeah, I knew. I heard people thinking that. Listen, and and there's other people I know <laughs> who are friends with him who uh, I don't even know if he knows this, but are like, I just think they just assume they're gonna get passed and they're gonna get like you know middle of the lineup <laughs> spots and like I know even if I do get passed. I'm going on right before Don. You're, yeah, you're getting David Taylor and Matt Edgar spots. But, but you yeah. know, that's more than what I get. So absolutely. And you know, like, and you don't do the Laugh Factory at all, do you? I would. Uh, I've done it. Uh, the last time I did it was on Rob Schneider's show. He has a weekly. Uh, when he's in town, he he does a show there. Rob Schneider and friends. Yeah. And uh, you know, which originally was supposed to be at the Comedy Store, uh, but Tommy was so rude to him. What, uh, what happened? You know, I wasn't there, but uh, I've heard from many people who were there that Rob... Discounted Rob as a comic or what? You know, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't know what his thought process right. was, but he, he basically kind of blew him off and, and said, come by Sundays and Mondays, which is at the time... <laughs> you know, he said that to Burt Kreischer as well. Yeah. Like Worked when, the parking lot. When Burt yeah, when Burt Kreischer was like, had hurt Burt, like... You know, a national show or whatever, and Tommy's going like, "Yeah, come back Monday. I'll see if I can put you can sign up for the open mic." Yeah, so and it, you know, it's like, and and told him to work the parking lot first. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. So, uh, huh. 
you know, I mean, but my only goal is just to, uh, at the comedy store anyway, is just to get past so I can be seen in, in front of working comics who can hook you up with gigs. Now, what's your, what's your career? Like, I mean, as far as like, what do you, what are you trying to, do you want to be on a show? Do you want to be a touring comic? What is it? Cause it, I don't think anybody knows what you're, what you're, uh, I play it close to the best. I know. That's why I'm asking. Cause I, you know, I think you're a fucking really talented guy. And I think it's, I think you're one of those people that age will never matter. What it, it, you could, you could become the biggest thing in the world and you're in your fifties. There's just something about your personality that will hit. Whether well, it's you young. having to have gray hair before, you know, whatever it sells, but you will hit somewhere. I hope. I mean, I act young and because I take care of myself. I'm not like ancient looking. Yeah, you're uh, you're a pretty fitness guru type guy. But, you know, like I, you know, uh, I've never question your motives and why you're at the gym so often and tweeting about the gentleman that you're working out with. But if I didn't work out, I would have killed either myself or someone. By Do now. you have an obsessive personality? Because you and I both have a fanatical shoe. Oh yeah, obsession. I mean, you and in fact, I got a compliment. You have, uh, I think putting on a different pair of shoes every day is kind of one of those things that makes me feel like, uh, like I can I can get rid of a bad day or whatever and just start fresh every day. You have an amazing amount of shoes. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm I I do things to excess, which is good and bad. It's like you know, I don't do drugs or drinks. So right. That's. Not doing something in excess, which is great. I work out like a maniac, which is, uh, you know, good to a degree. Uh, I do comedy like a maniac. Uh, ball hockey. You know, ball. Well, I mean, ball hockey is like the only thing I uh, do that's like nothing to do with comedy. Yeah. And it's a great uh, hobby to uh, just no one talks about the business. And, and so, I mean, what do you do? I mean, you must have one non-entertainment hobby, music. Yeah, and you know, now I have a dog. I uh, very cute dog. Yeah, he's awesome, I, and I hike a lot. You know, like I used to be really heavy, so I always have to, uh, I always have to be doing something, push-ups or uh, just something physical because I can very easily fall into back into the habit of not doing anything, just blowing off exercise altogether, and. But I'm also like a big fanatic for like this town. Not so much the like the modern stuff, but I like the old history of it. So I like to go track down like you know where like Clark Gable used to go hang out in place I read about in books and Vincent Price and people like that. I like to kind of see the history of the town the way oh, they yeah. saw it. I mean, so many iconic movies have been filmed here, and you know, like every time I drive by uh, Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah, absolutely. Die hard. But it's like I live, Just you know, the at the, I live at the foot of um, Bronson Canyon and Bronson Canyon is where the Batcave is from the original Adam West Batman. Oh, wow. And, and it's also uh, when I met Kevin McCarthy from the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers movie, he said all the scenes of me, you know, climbing the mountains to get away. Those were all done right there in Bronson Canyon in that hill. So it's just I, I find that kind of shit cool. You know, I was a huge Vincent Price fanatic, and uh, he donated most all of his his uh, life's collection of artwork to East L.A. College. So every once in a while, I'll just go over there, park, and then I'll just go look through his collection. They have it in the halls, and they have it in a little gallery there. So, Yeah, I mean, you need a something other than the entertainment business if you're in it. 
Oh, it'll kill you. It'll tear you down. I mean, you'll second guess everything you do in your life based on. Oh yeah, and you know, being in the entertainment business, whether you're too old or what car you're driving to your audition or you know whatever. Who gets what gig over you, and you know, so I like stuff like that too. Like at the end of this street, um, in West Hollywood, I live on is uh, it's a gay club now. But yeah, I took I took Sunset and and was willing to sit in more traffic just to not have to make that turn. Because once you slow down, I just I have this vision of all those guys just jumping on my car and. It's pretty cool here. I mean, they know if you're not gay, they don't mess with you. And I mean, but there's like, I mean, there's just and this is a hundred people walking that that little because you have like kind of a narrow street. There's like a hundred people crossing there. You can't hardly get through there most times. Oh, it's, it's like all an clubs and farm of horny gay guys just <laughs> looking for wiener. And uh, you said you've gone outside and you see people fucking in the bushes. I've haven't seen you? guys doing whatever in the bushes i've you know i take lois my dog for a walk and i cut through the alley there's guys boning in there and but the you know was it's gone through a couple changes now they're making it into a gay cowboy bar uh, it's like coyote ugly but i guess it's a huge it, where we filmed the windy sea yeah, wedding where, uh it's not wow it's not club 11 anymore i think it's called blazing saddles oh so, my god uh, <laughs> of course it is i can't wait to see people ride the bull in this place uh, Earl, uh you and i are both guilty of uh at the ding dong show especially throwing around the faggot word well, you do you know, ever catch like I mean I feel like you and I use it maybe the only appropriate way, which is we always use it at somebody who is a major homophobe, somebody who who like we never would use it to anybody that would be insulted. We use it to people who would uh, would hate to be called that themselves. We always use it for somebody like that. In a well, yeah, I mean you can use any word if it's funny. You could say the n word if it's if you better make sure it's funny, right? Uh, you know, I had a white comic friend of mine opening up for Chappelle, and uh, you from know, where I'm from, actually, yeah, uh, near da- right at Dayton, like the town he lives in. When I go back to Ohio, I will I'll go hang out there, and like everybody there's like, oh, hang around long enough, he'll be through town. There's like, there's literally one supermarket in the whole town. They're like, he'll be through at some point. He takes his kids to school. Like, if you want to meet him, he'll be here at some point. And that's you know when he's here, it's the same thing at the comedy store. Yeah. You know, the best is uh, seeing him do a late night spot. Uh, like one time he did the OR and there was like seven people in there and he did like two, three hours and it was great. And, you know, at one point it just was the audience asking him questions. And, you know, I got I got my two cents in there. Yeah, so. I did, too. And I got yelled at by somebody at the comedy store for asking questions. I go, well, he said he was taking questions, so I don't understand what the problem was. Well, I knew. In like, fact, the comment was, don't ask your stupid questions. This isn't the ding dong show. Oh, well, welcome. Which I, which I feel like was, yeah, I felt like I was getting treated the way you, they treat you, actually. Like oh. discounting our greatness. Well, dude, I mean, you know, I know that I think what we do is a big, a big part of the show. In fact, many people that come from out of town have told me they're like, you and Earl should have a microphone all the time yeah but i like to duck in and out i know uh, i agree but they but you know it's like they even people that are in this show as recent as last week have said like i wish i wish you guys had a microphone more often so we could hear what you're saying and i'm like you know like maybe that's the only show that it's appropriate to yell out the kind of shit we yell out yeah i mean you the format of the show is like you and i have been fans of ever long enough we know how to we're not fucking with people we're provoking 
some sort of topic for them to get going on usually what's well, controlled chaos yeah tennessee so. absolutely fucking detests that you walk in and go tennessee you piece of shit i watch his face now and his and he actually grits his teeth w- waiting for don to like say something to you and i i hope you do it forever because i love seeing that he's I such will. a fucking asshole because i don't care what tennessee thinks <laughs> He's a fucking perv. He's an old pervert, man. Yeah, I mean, it's like, dude, you walk around whipping your dick out in your shorts and like looking like, uh, I don't know, alfalfa from the Little Rascals, you know, talking your gibberish. Uh, I'm going to attack. So, but the Ding Dong shows that we could do another podcast on that show with the the characters, the schizos, and the Jessica Shores. And well, let's the, talk about your character. My you, character's you do, just me. Yeah, but you do in the roast battle. You do like the house racist, and and you and I were talking earlier. Like, there's there's coming a point where people are starting to recognize you for that. You know, what do you what do you feel like? I mean, do, well, people you, know you're joking, but. Are, do you feel like that's hurting you in any way? Has any, have you has anybody said anything to you in the industry like, hey man, you might want to not do oh, this yeah. very long, or have you got you know what have you gotten out of it? I mean, I've gotten. I had someone come up to me today who's like in the business at uh, my gym, and he just kind of looked at me and was like, dude, uh, I don't really know if that's how you really want to make your mark. And because uh, he already kind of went through this, do you remember? Oh yeah, the amazing racist. Yeah, and it didn't hurt him. No, and he and it's because he didn't. I think it's because he didn't give a shit what their opinion was of it. But, but at some point, you have to, right? And and I, yeah, that's what I wonder if uh, you know what do they have a plan for what's going to happen with that show? What was New York? I mean, New York was like a film fe- or it was a comedy festival, was a, right? Probably the second biggest comedy festival outside of Montreal. So it was a big deal to get invited there. And, uh, you know, we sold out 500-person theater, the Gramercy Theater, and uh, we killed uh, before and, we got and who there. And uh, who were the roasters for that? It was eight, four roasts. Uh, so eight, you know, it was Ari Shafir and Big J Okerson, uh, Bonnie McFarlane against Mike Lawrence, uh, Jesse Joyce against Kurt Metzger, and then... Uh, How's Kurt Metzger? I, I, I like a lot of his... Uh facebook rants and the way he well him and jesse joyce were friends our friends so they uh you know uh, they knew each other and and uh you know the the show was good not great all all of us you know like the for me and whitney was it received well by that audience i mean i think to... they would go back yeah i don't not one person walked and uh you know it, it Actually, the crowd got bigger as the show went on. That's so, awesome. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was standing room only. Because you guys have really only... I mean, I know you did it in the main room that before, but... or have you, No, we've it? never done no. it in the main room. We've done uh, the belly, one show in La Jolla. Yeah, but the belly room's kind of the home of that. And it's oh, like it you like... People are jammed into that room like sardines. And oh, that's like a crazy. cool thing. What, what was the vibe there? Was it, was it like that? I mean, that? it's a huge theater. So the ceilings are high and, uh, you know, they're... Uh, because of the structure, you know, me yeah. and Whitney had to be on the stage and the Negro wave was uh, kind of in the back of the stage. And uh, they had like 60 audience members on the stage. And I, I, you know, I'm not, that's weird. So that was kind of a weird element. And I think the crowd for me and Whitney were like, you know, cause we're sitting in front of a big sign that says whites only. And 
you know, the people are like looking at us like, are we supposed to laugh at that? Are we supposed to not like them? <laughs> so in my first line, it didn't bomb, but it didn't do great. And uh, what, what was it? It was uh, Jeff. You know, Jeff always sets us up. Jeff Ross, you know, to, you know, he's so respected in any room, but especially yeah. in New York because he's nice Jeff Ross. Too. Yeah. So uh, he's like, hey, house racist, how was your flight here? And I'm like, well, it was great because we uh, flew further away from the Beaners, but now we're closer to all the Puerto Ricans. <laughs> and that was like the tamest line. But I thought, well, we'll dip our toe in the water with that. That's and, fucking funny, man. That is really funny. Yeah. And then Whitney was like, we're not racist, we're realists. And, uh, <laughs> and then my, I think my second line. Are they was, saying the same thing to her? Are oh yeah, her like, hey, get out of that show. You I mean, be- I don't know. Uh, I you know, I don't know what people right. are saying to her. But, right, um, but I'm assuming. Uh, I mean, she's going to be a huge talent in this business. I yeah, mean, because she's funny. She uh, works. She works hard. I, she, she's oh. always posting a new like character video, dude. And like, you know, I've only seen uh, her work ethic and talent in one other person in terms of a female. The other Whitney? Yeah, the Whitney Cummings. I mean, I used I started with Whitney. Right. Uh, you know, at least when she moved out here, we started doing rooms together. And uh, you saw the same thing with her. Like, you know, she wouldn't, you know, go to the comedy store and party. She would network. And right. She would go home and make a video. And, and that's what... The second Whitney does. Well, yeah, a friend of ours told me uh, one time that the difference between her and what everybody else had tried to do was the reason that it worked for her was that uh, most people would never w- would not associate with anyone below them, and she would associate with people above and below her. And uh, oh yeah, I mean, and she- and really not rule out anybody as po- a possible collaboration or collaborator for any project. Oh, I think Whitney Cummings' best asset to this day probably is she can walk into a room of a hundred people and figure out within under a minute who can help her the most, and she goes right over to them. Wow! And and she's not like like there's other people we know. Uh, Have you heard how she kind of got started? Or at least I know what I've heard. I think she was a model or something. And she was at a uh, kind of a Q and A kind of thing with where Jay Moore was at and was blurting out questions and Jay Moore thought she was interesting and funny and told uh, Barry Katz, you got to yeah. meet, the, you got to meet this girl that just kept asking questions or something about her. Like that's at least that's thing. what I heard. It was one, something like that. Well, that's how, uh, Whitney, um, kind of Whitney, the second Whitney, Whitney Rice. Right. If you, you should really should look at this girl's videos on YouTube. It's Whitney Lee Rice. Yeah. She, um, does a lot of character. Like I almost say like Carol Burnett style. Yeah. Has a lot of like different type characters with makeup and, but she like, and this goes to show you why I want to be, you know, passed at the store or whatever. Yeah. Uh, she, I brought, you know, about eight months after doing the roast battle, I was just running out of ideas. Uh, it's hard to be racist and funny. Like, right. Cause or, like, or you, like you've told me, you're like, I don't want to bomb any more than anybody else does. And it's pressure up there. It's a uh, hundred people packed into a tight space. You know, like last week, the judges were uh, Sarah Silverman, uh, and someone else really famous, and, and uh, uh, Joe Rogan. So right, you, right. You know, and and Joe, yeah, that's like his first one there, maybe. Yeah, or something and he like loved that. the Tommy impression. You know, which is basically what I'm. Yeah, you know. which is like a gold seal, man. For, yeah. Oh, he. Uh, 
dude, talk about, I know, like, talk about a fucking nice guy. Joe Rogan made his return uh, the other night, and I was back in the, you know, back behind the kitchen in the kind of the smokers area, hanging with PJ, and Joe Rogan came back there to light up a, a smoke oh, a before he went on, yeah, and immediately walked in, was like, hey, how's it going, man? Good to see you, and like, shook both of our hands out of nowhere, you know, just, right. just being a nice guy, like, at the moment he walked out, like, Good guy, like oh yeah, very nice guy. I mean, the guy lives a great life. I mean, what a racket he's got. Where he, you know, he's with the UFC two, three times a month. He does a and he, and he show. made that job yeah. from, well, from what from what I what Joey D, <clears throat> Joey Diaz said said on his podcast. He's like Rogan was a fan of the UFC when it started and went and said, "Give me a free ticket and I'll I'll do your commentary for you." And it bl- made his own job basically. Blot turned into a job as it got bigger and bigger. Because I don't think a lot of people realize he actually does martial mixed martial arts. Well, he's he like was, a fourth degree he, black belt. He, not only that, he was like a jiu-jitsu champion throughout high school. And when he graduated and was like 18, he was teaching at, I think, Boston University. He was teaching like jiu-jitsu there at, at 18. He What's was like a college the, um, professor there. <laughs> that's the same thing with Jeff Ross. I think he is like the youngest black belt in New Jersey karate history or something weird like that. Like, you know, and so, but Rogan actually does it and, and at a high level. I mean, he probably could fight like in, oh, the, de- definitely. in the UFC. He might not like, you know, be able to beat the top guys, but I'm sure he could beat some of the lower tiered people. Yeah. I so. mean, I've heard that he, he would spar with Eddie Bravo quite a bit and yeah. uh, or roll with him anyway. And it's like, those are, that's going to keep you in the top of your game. Well, George St. Pierre, GSP, said that Rogan's got like the best spinning round kick he's ever seen. You know so. who's surprising uh, is a jiu-jitsu guy who actually rolls every single day is Ed O'Neill, the great oh, Al a, Bundy. He's got his black belt Has from uh, done Rory, it for years, but I, and he's got a legit black belt yeah. from uh, Rory and Gracie, who founded the UFC. I mean, that dude—he what an interesting guy. He could kill you. Oh yeah, and I remember somebody on Death Squad one day, like on the, you know, all the uh, all the Twitter and everything. Somebody actually posted on there like as a joke that they'd like to see that, and I was like, yeah, that'd be pretty interesting. And they're like, oh, Rogan would kill him. I go. You don't know that Ed O'Neill's been doing it for a long time. I mean, the dude's been training. I mean, he says he rolls every single day. I I wouldn't want to fuck with the guy, but uh, and he's a guy that I'd I'd actually like to hear Joe Rogan maybe have on there. And not a lot of people know about him. Um, but you know, sorry, I had to take a pee, guys. <laughs> I, I could have like, I could have kept talking, but I thought it'd be funnier to see Earl wa- doing the turtle walk in here, trying to get his pants up. <laughs> I drank like three bottles of water, a lot of vitamins today. Yeah, yeah. Is Are you a- still hooked on the uh, hot rod five thousands? A lot of people had kind of mentioned that you don't you don't mention those anymore. I mean, I not endorsed him. anymore. I take them for maintenance. <laughs> maintenance in what what fashion hot rod uh 5000 are uh, dick pills uh that i get from in an n 101 uh in west hollywood and uh they work let me just tell you that much uh, ask nicole perez i mean i'm in my mid 40s so you know you know you got to do what you got to do and then as i turn the channel we got a viagra commercial on with some twat 
So uh, you and I, you and I are getting to the same point, man. Where I uh, like it used to be just funny when I would hear you say stuff like that in the back of the room, but now I, I really feel like I'm getting to that age where I'm like, yep, I missed the boat. All the good ones are taken. What's true? And I the mean, rest of them are just pathetic, lying sociopaths. These from- girls in L.A., man, you you give them ten inches, they want eleven. You know, you got <laughs> you got a condo, they want a house. You well, gotta- I was the one that I that that turned you on and unleashed you on the. Twi- on the tinder community there for a while well i had to get off of tinder because my data coverage was blowing up i mean i got a phone bill one month for like three hundred dollars i'm like oh well i guess if you don't well dude i mean in fairness i remember sitting next to you in the back of the room and you weren't even looking you just had that thumb going to the right like i mean i'd never seen a dealer fucking flip cards that fast i was on tinder so much my f- the right side of my phone literally fell apart but I notice when I, you know, when I'm on those kind of places, what you have to do is first off, if they don't have, if it's only face shots and it's angled down, you're, you're looking at a big girl. That's the universal hiding symbol. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that whatever they put on their profile, they're probably going to be the opposite. They're telling you what they wish they were, and it'll take you about four times of going out with them to find out that they're exactly the opposite and that they're psychotic. Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I did it for fun, and I wasn't seeing anyone at the time. Right, so that's when I do it—just pure boredom, like it's harmless fun. And uh, you know, I met a few girls off of Tinder. It's it's okay. I mean, it's I got kicked off of uh, Christian Mangle for asking a girl if she took it in the ass. So, <laughs> what's the problem with that? Well, I guess if you're not a priest, they don't appreciate that. <laughs> I think that what we find out about you, Earl, is that you're a misunderstood individual. No, I'm pretty understood. I think people, uh, you know, my, my problem is I'm too honest. So, <laughs> you know, I don't bullshit. I'm certainly capable of it, but uh, I am what I am. And uh, Well, dude, people that like you love you. I mean, have you ever, have you considered doing any kind of merchandise for the show, like Earl shirts or anything like that? I will when I get to a, a certain level of uh, fame, if I ever do. Uh, I, I've, I've always hated comics who sell merchandise and nobody knows who you are. It's like, right. what's the point? But that's just how I look at it. Right. You know, I certainly, because of my look... You know, the glasses, the hair, the, you know, the the body or whatever. I, I could probably come up with a pretty funny t-shirt. I mean, just you doing the Rude Awakening alone would just, that would rock the house. Yeah, like I bought a uh, t-shirt. Uh, yeah, where, did you, I've Rude. never seen it. Did you ever, uh, did you ever receive that shirt? Yeah, it's like a yellow uh, shirt with Rick Rude flexing his abs and like a cartoon character. Uh, our character have you worn it yet is that what you wear to the or gym or once to the gym and I, I go to a gay gym so these guys probably <laughs> probably wasn't the best shirt to wear to a gay gym <laughs> probably the only worst shirt I've ever worn to a gay gym was you know, I have a lot of 80s metal shirts and, uh, you know, no one really pays too much attention to me in them and then one day there was this just a particular day where people were staring at me, winking at me, kind of like cruising <laughs> You know, cruising me is what they call it in the, in the gay world. And uh, I'm like, well, why? I'm just wearing a shirt that, with the band Jackal on it. And it's just a, it says Jackal and, uh, you know, band picture. And they were famous for the chainsaw they would bring on stage. Yeah. And, and uh, but it was, it was really puzzling because they were just, I'd never received this much attention before. So finally I get home and I'm like, 
what's on the back of this shirt? I've never really looked. And on the back was uh, three uh, sentences. Rock me, roll me, jackal me off. <laughs> so, uh, you know. And on that note. <laughs> yeah. What do you got? I mean, I could go on for the next three hours, but we are already at an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, which is, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> and how, let me ask you this, Earl, how many, how many copies of that shirt do you have? Because just I one, was, <clears throat> I, I was in a swap it. meet one time and they had a ton of like old, like, uh, eighties, like rock concert shirts with like $300 price tags. And I remember taking a picture and sending it to you just as a joke going like, Hey, you ought to come down here and buy this. And, and you said, I have four of those. <laughs> Well, I have, uh, I mean, I won't, uh, and I don't like talking about the hockey jerseys anymore because I'm not really in the hobby anymore, but I, I probably have the world's largest uh, sports memorabilia collection in terms of uh, jerseys and uh, whatnot. But I also have a, a, a very, and this goes to the, uh, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder that we might have. I also have a couple hundred uh, 80s metal shirts. Holy and, uh, shit. You know, I'm talking vintage ones, not yeah. very many. Uh, you know, I buy, it's always been my thing. I buy at least one to two shirts from every concert. You I've know what I, I always wanted was I saw uh, back in the day, they had these Quiet Riot, like the baseball type shirts, and it had the uh, the Quiet Riot dude with the mask on. Right. I always wanted those. They never released any of that stuff. You could get them on. Actually, I'll, I'll show you uh, the link. I bought two shirts yesterday. Um, from this company that does, they might be illegal reproductions because oh, I'm sure see, uh, Kiss letting this slide, but they had a Kiss animalize uh, like a baseball type of uh, three quarter sleeve shirt with Mark St. John on the the in the picture, and uh, Mark St. John was only in Kiss for like nine months. Yeah, wow. Uh, so I bought that and a Vinnie Vincent lick it up. Uh, tour shirt which you never see and i guarantee you they would have that quiet riot shirt holy shit were they expensive no they're 19 bucks so oh, you know they're not yeah. uh, i mean they're not valuable at all but i have like i don't give a fuck about like how authentic that shit is i know what i like and i'm gonna wear whatever i like oh i don't care I, that's what i love i'm wearing a fucking what rick flair shirt today yeah, I mean, it, you know, limousine riding, Rolex wearing, alligator shoes. I've spent more money on spilt liquor than you know. <laughs> uh, that's why I yeah, love. And there's no way this is an original shirt. But no, what do I all, care? Fuck yeah, it. Well, I just like them. <laughs> the original shirts don't fit. I mean, I have a. Uh, well, and that material's thin as fuck. I yeah. found an '81 fog hat shirt the other day, and I was like, oh, I can't buy that. I'd, I'd wear it for a day, and it'd have a hole in the armpits. Well, you can sell them now. I mean, I could sell. I mean, those. The, if I sold every eight, every concert shirt I have, it's probably close to twenty thousand dollars in shirts. Oh yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, if you not could, more. Yeah, like I have, you know, a Vinnie Vincent '86. Uh, it says "Prepare to Be Invaded" shirt. I could probably. That's Do you wear th any of that stuff anymore? I can't. It, it, it's too small. Uh, oh. That's three hundred dollars shirt, easy. Wow. You know, I've got, uh, you know, er, some early, early rat shirts like from their first tour. That that's three hundred dollars each. What what size were you when you were? Buying I mean, extra all the large, rushers? large, but now they've probably shrunk to. Yeah, they're a probably medium. mediums. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So I would love to sell them. Uh, oh, you totally should, man. I mean, like set up a booth at some yearly rock uh, convention or something, and then I, just, I'm just too lazy. I sell a few things on eBay just to make a few shackles, but yeah. Uh, 
you know. Do you have any like attachment to any of your stuff? Do you get attached to the I mean, jerseys or the could, shoes or anything? Um, I mean, there's one hockey jersey I would keep. Uh, and you know, if someone said, "Hey, you can keep one. We'll buy the whole thing and everything else." There's a, a shirt. The Rangers and the uh, Sabers uh, played the first sporting event after 9/11. And I think I've told the story before on the podcast, but, you know, newer listeners, uh, you know, the Rangers uh, wore New York across their shirt, which uh, usually it says Rangers, but they said New York. And uh, the Sabres' usual logo is a buffalo head. Yeah. And uh, for this game, they wore New York across it. And, oh, cool. Uh, there was a fight in the game with this guy named Eric Bolton, and I bought his shirt and uh bloody bloody yeah because they made no replicas no authentics you can't get they made 20 shirts for the rangers 20 shirts for the sabers and that's it that's all did you call them right after that game or did they did i mean how did you get this shirt was they had a uh, auction for the uh, police and firefighters okay and uh and the funny thing is uh you know the auction was like a month after the game so 40 shirts sat in like the rangers you know locker room or wherever they kept them unwashed oh so shit. you had uh i was so excited when the jersey came i wore it to an open mic that night oh and, how and bad it, did that fucking... oh my god it smelled so bad no one would sit near me i mean it was <laughs> have you have you washed it since then or did oh you yeah just hang i it had up to and... and i think a little bit of the blood came out but it's like it, the yeah, smell yeah. was Fuck ungodly that. i mean it smelled like boone's breath um, <laughs> So uh, that was uh, that. That would be the one hockey jersey I would keep, just because it's a pretty cool, yeah. uh, you know, uh, memento of you know an awful. Now are, now, are you the same way with your shoes? Like, because there are people that are like they know the whole story of what issue that shoe was, like what year it came out. They have to get every, or you just you just buy what you like. I just buy what I like, and uh, you know, there's not really. Well, I guess if I had to keep one pair of shoes, if someone said, "Earl." You're, you're moving into a studio apartment tomorrow. You can only have room for one pair. It would be the pair of shoes they gave me when I did bench warmers. I'll have to check those out. Yeah, they're I, really I like- nice Nikes, and uh, they're not, you know, they're not like, you know, some high-tech LeBron or yeah. Jordan shoes. They're just really basic. They look like baseball shoes, but with no cleats. See, the, th- the thing is, like, when, when, I, when you let me see your shoe room that day, the first thing I thought is I'm like... The- he does with his shoes what I would have done if I were a wrestler, like Macho Man. I would have had about 35 different outfits and various different colors and various different things for just whatever. And I was like, that's kind of what Earl's shoe collection is. It's like the same thing. Well, yeah. I mean, I just like, uh, and you know, I think people are like, well, you're not really a famous comic. How do you afford all this? But it's really because I've never had a drink or drug in my life. I've got excess money. Yeah. To to or not excess, but like I've got money to. If I drank or did drugs, I would not. Well, and that's another thing that you put your money in that uh, you can get your money back out of. People sell old shoes for ridiculous amounts of money, and your stuff's all in good condition. Yeah. Uh, well, with the jerseys, I definitely could. Uh, I mean, I have. Uh, but you know the thing the problem with the jerseys is that i bought a lot of unknown hockey fighters jerseys who you know they were friends of mine right so but with the shoes i don't have too many valuable shoes like uh i've got one special pair of reebok pumps that were for some cartoon series or something i could probably get like that's funny that that's like that's the one pair as a kid i always kind of wanted 
that I never got were the Reebok pumps. Like the, one, did they ever feel different? That was their big thing was that you could feel the the shoes get tighter on your feet. Well, back then they did when they first came out because there was no shoe like that. Yeah. So now you don't really notice. Uh, at least I don't. Um, but uh, I know they reissued some. Yeah. Last I mean, couple of years or whatever, you can get pumps now. Yeah, I mean, you can go on any, you know, there's one site I go on since they're not paying me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I only have one sponsor, Stephen Piercy's Mike Knuckles. And I must thank why it pops into my head, the great Stevie Rochelle from uh, MetalSludge.tv, who, uh, you know. Theme song? Does the theme song. Uh, he had a band called Tough. Uh, and it's, I shouldn't say had. He still tours as Tough. Uh, they provide the music to Inappropriate Earl. And, uh, which is like the perfect, I do like the song that you use. It's, it's very inappropriate Earl sounding. It's very eighties and it was a big hit on MTV, you know, for a bit. And, uh, you, you know, that's just one of those things where, you know, they were really like the next poison. They were like poison B, do you, but you know, do you remember when you and I went to see uh Steven Piercy? Oh God, it was like probably a year ago. And, uh, <laughs> there was like a couple the threesome. In, <laughs> yeah, a threesome broke out in front of us. I mean, literally they're all three of them are making out. It's a guy and two girls. It's like, you know, one fat chick, one pretty hot chick and the, the dude, whatever. And there's a guy who looks real preppy, standing pretty close to him with his arms folded, not being bothered by it or anything. And eventually the, uh, the threesome breaks up. The concert ends and you go up to that preppy guy and you say something to him. And I'm like, who the fuck was that? Do you remember that? Who? It was, oh, yeah. It was like no, a it was Alexi bull- Lawless. Yeah, it was <laughs> great. And I know he listens to this show. I thought that was maybe one of my favorite moments. You're like, oh, he's he's one of he used to be one of the best soccer players of all like in he might US be. history or whatever. And I'm like, and there he is standing there watching these three slobs basically almost fuck each other in front of him. But he might be the greatest U.S. Uh, defender. He was a defenseman uh, in, in the U.S. history. So was, and he's a monstrous rat fan. I mean, he, he is yeah, like you said he's at everything that you go to, right? He's a rat fan of my level, like in terms of like he's into it. And, oh, I would love for you to have uh, him on. I'm here. trying. He said he would do it. But, you know, it's it's just hard to get. Uh, you know, when you're Mark Maron, you ask someone to do it or Joe right. Rogan. They're gonna, yeah, no problem. Uh, but you know, when I get, uh, you know, these people, when I ask them, they're kind of like, I could tell they're like, well, who are you and why am this going to benefit me? And it actually will. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, obviously I'm not on Mariner Rogan. Right. But you also have a much different audience than those guys too. Well, it's kind of, uh, somewhat, uh, similar. I would say me and Rogan have, have, uh, I should say I have a, a similar audience to his from the standpoint of, you know, I, I try and talk a little bit of MMA and yeah, you know, he's not really a metal head. I don't think, but, uh, but I'm not really into the, you know, he likes to talk about the Martians and stuff like that. Yeah. So, right. There really is, uh, you know, a lot of people think there's too many podcasts out there and then there's a lot of shitty ones, but you know, if you have a niche, uh, they are, uh, you can, you know, I don't think there are too many. Like if you find your niche and you're good at doing it. I agree, it, dude. And I, I think it comes down to the, uh, the host. I think it comes down like I've quit listening to podcasts that I used to listen to just cause their, their content gets lazy or, uh, certain people talk so much about themselves that you get to a point where you're like, 
I'm sick of hearing about you. And you you do a really good job of having interesting people that nobody else has on. Well, that's what I try. I like that. I mean, you have to get these people like now I'm at the point where other than like having a friend on like you, but you have a great story. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, you want to get like. You ought to even have uh, Bob Romanis on from Fast Times. I will. I try not to have too many repeat. You know, I know Dean's had him on. I, yeah, but that was a while ago. And that guy's that guy has a band. He does his own thing. And I mean, he's a cool. He's a very nice guy. Oh, yeah. It's and I'm telling. And I mean, I'd love for people to uh, even though he's not a sponsor, I'd love for people to go into his bob's espresso and kind of help keep it open because that's a at least from somebody like like me and you like i know you uh you get excited when you see somebody that was in miami vice when you're at a supermarket and i'm the same way i did a movie with uh the great ted mcginley who was ruins every show he's on <laughs> jefferson darcy and he was stan gable and uh, revenge of the nerds and and uh just if, happy days he yeah came on just and bombed just, out yeah just but uh one of those people that I was like, yeah, that was just a fucking awesome day. Got to meet somebody that I met when I was a kid or whatever. And you're good about that. You have people on that are just kind of off the wall. And well, yeah, it's like when I had Tawny Katane on, I mean, uh, you know, she does. And you want people who don't do a lot of podcasts. So right. when they do mine, it's like, oh my God, Tawny Katane's on this guy's podcast. And Bobby Brown, the, the cherry pie girl, you know, it's like, oh wow. I haven't heard from her in a bit, you know? And, uh, you know, I mean, David Arquette does, he doesn't do podcasts. No, no. And like I said, that was one of my all time favorite ones uh, and talk about just a fucking, uh, what is his cool dude, man. He, he was at the comedy store three, <clears throat> three or four weeks ago. And I was talking to him. I said, Hey, you ought to come up and check out the ding dong show. And sure enough, man, he came up and spent the entire night watching the ding dong show with, I think you came in and we were, yeah. we were all fucking with him, you know, and he's a really great fucking sport. And you, I mean, this is a guy who's making boatloads of money off of the coolest club in town. I mean, he's got like marionettes and stuff. Yeah. What's it called? Bootsy Bellows. Bootsy Bellows. And then he's also the executive producer for, uh, Cougar town, Cougar town and celebrity game night with Craig Ferguson. So, I mean, the guy's got a lot of shit going on and he's still coming and hanging out with us fucking off yeah, he's one of us man he is he really is one of us i mean he's also a wcw world champion which <laughs> yeah. might have been the death of wcw well <laughs> he he i don't blame him for that like who wouldn't take that opportunity if somebody said do you want to be a part of wcw for a while well he didn't want to do it but you i know, know they, they i know i think bischoff who I, i've tried to get on this podcast but he lives in like montana but that would be a guy i would love to have oh on. yeah just because uh, him or uh, dude, you know who who would do it? Uh, Vince Russo has said if people contact him through Twitter, he'll do he'll do their podcast. Yeah, but see, I don't do anything over the phone. They got to come to me. Although I do have a new mobile setup uh, that I can go to them because. Uh, well, I think yeah, I think he's in New York, but I'm sure those guys come out here. I'm working on getting Steve Stevens on this uh, podcast, who's the uh, great guitar player from Billy Idol. Oh, absolutely. But I, I have a feeling that would have to be the mobile setup. I don't know if I could get him in here, but... Why is he? Uh, well, I'm sure he'd be that like, busy or what? Uh, if you want to come to me, yeah, I'll do it. But I'm, I, I, he hasn't said my friend's trying to set it up, but I could tell it's going to be like, Earl, you're going to have to go to him. But, uh, I mean, are you uh, were you a, a Wasp fan at all? Have you what not about really Chris but Holmes? I know, uh, Chris, I, yeah, I mean, I, I snuck him into a rat show once because he bought me a he he said, hey, man, I don't want any money. I'm just hungry. Can you go buy me a burrito? 
So I bought him a burrito and he got me into rat. <laughs> and I snuck him into Motorhead one year, you know, because my ex, well, my girlfriend at the time was, is their man, co-manager. And uh, he's like loitering around the backstage door and I was about, I was going in and he saw my all access pass. He's like, dude, can I go in with you? I'm like, you're Chris Holmes from Wasp. How am I, why don't you sneak me in somewhere? And I got him in there and, uh, you know. Holy shit, how the mighty have fallen. All right. Well, we're we are uh, at the two hour mark. Thank you for having me, Earl. No, no. But the only reason I'm cutting it off is because at the two hour mark, uh, the file jumps to another file, uh, like it splits in half, and it's it's uh, frankly it's hard for me to edit it. Oh yeah, no worries. Because I don't know how to edit. Um, <laughs> that does you know. make it difficult, then, doesn't it? Well, with this, it's like if we end in the next three minutes, it's just one file. We bam, put it up, and and bam. So, uh, what do you uh, do? You have anything you want the uh, audience to be directed to, like your Twitter? Um, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, actually. I had a uh, a Christmas movie that is, they're in negotiations for uh, distribution, but they're actually selling it online um, that you can buy it. And it's actually like a really great Christmas movie. It's like a kind of a Christmas classic. And I think it's Elias Media, Multimedia. I forget. Uh, is that a website or do they? Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um but yeah, that's that's the main thing that I'm I'm trying to get people to look at because I wanted to make a sequel to it, and it it was uh, for being the first movie that I was in, it turned out to be a uh, turned out to be actually a really good movie, and not a lot of people can say that that uh, something they're in wasn't a complete catastrophe for their first project. Um, but then- yeah, I guess it's it's a uh, el. L I N A S multimedia.com and the movie's called Christmas with the Caroonses and they can buy it. Like, yep. It's be, it's kind of like, um, my big fat Greek wedding meets uh, Christmas vacation. It's a Christmas movie with uh, a crazy Greek family and crazy Greek happenings around a dinner table. Right, we'll go check that out guys. And what's that, uh, short film we made? Uh, you can go on YouTube. You can't buy it, but, uh, uh dad's home. We did a, yeah, we did a little, Is that what web, it's called? Dad's yeah, a little home. web series and, uh, force that through. I appreciate you doing it. Nobody knew me at the time and you, you were totally willing to help me out, not knowing what kind of piece of shit I would make. And I did the best I could with the people I was trying to, well, I get think you, do. I think you were porking I just, I, the lead. Yeah, I basically it. just needed uh, people to help me reshoot some stuff. And the actors, we all became kind of personally uh, intertwined. And they started using my project to kind of get their way. And they would hold it up and not. And so in, in the end, I ended up not getting to get, do it the way I wanted to. So Welcome to Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. My first experience. <laughs> yeah, so. EGF. Everyone gets fucked in this business. Exactly. So what's your Twitter handle? Jordan the Lion. Uh, Instagram's Jordan the Lion. And Facebook is Jordan Lee. So guys, check out Jordan. He's one of the good people in the L.A. comedy scene. He's a talented actor. And uh, you'll be hearing from him. He, he, he's he got his finger in the air. He knows which way the wind is blowing. That's right. And uh, just a personal announcement uh, right now. Don't buy uh, Earl Skakel's comedy album, uh, Earl Alive, because uh, I didn't renew a tune core, so I'm not sure where the money goes. Uh, 
So I, I gotta if, so if get anyone, your finger off the button right now. Well, if you're I mean, ready no, to pay. I've had like uh, like five people told me they bought it last week, and I'm like, I don't get the money right now, which is crazy to me, because TuneCore's uh, accounting methods are about on par with Tommy's. Um, <laughs> so uh, if you want to support Earl Skakel, just uh, spread the word about inappropriate Earl. Uh, we're on uh, SoundCloud and iTunes. And uh, leave a review. That helps. The more reviews we have, you know, it just looks better. You know, I'm trying to get to the Rogan and and Marin level, and you know, it's it's a lot of work. So, uh, and uh, the biggest name in podcast media today, Earl yeah. Skakel. Learn well, to love it. Not yet, but uh, you know, it, it just you know, you build a following, and uh, you know, t-shirts will be coming soon. Uh, and uh, just uh, Thursday, we've got another episode coming out with Joey Allen from Warrant. We're going to break down uh, where the down boys went. And, uh, you know, Warrant's an interesting band because they were like the last band to make it out of the they LA sure were. scene. So They were the ones that walked into that uh, yeah, record I mean, company and saw the uh, Alice in Chains on the wall and knew it was over. Yeah, I mean, well, literally, what the story goes, one week they walk into, I think it was Atlantic Records in L.A., and you know, there's a big cherry pie. Uh, you know, not poster, but like mural. Yeah. And, uh, the next week they go in, and Allison Chains is there, and uh, they're not taking know, their calls. You know, Warren's cutting their hair and wearing flannel uh, three weeks later. So, uh, <laughs> but Joey's a good dude. He's a great guitar player, and uh, doesn't get the credit he deserves because you know, you know, a lot of those '80s guys, you know, the Jakey Lees, the Warren D. Martinis, the George Lynches. It's because they look like drag queens. Uh, you know, but. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll put Jake E. Lee up against any guitar player anyone names, and he's got the chops. <laughs> yeah. Check out his band, Red Dragon Cartel. Uh, you know, <laughs> I thought you hated the singer for that, didn't you? Jay, well, the, the singer was horrible. His... The singer was like... <laughs> the drummer with no shirt on? <laughs> yeah, it's like he's got like some weird belly tattoo, and he's got a big fucking gut, and he's <laughs> like uh, rock... You know, he's singing a classic Ozzy song that Jake wrote called Rock and Roll Rebel, and the singer's saying rock and roll devil <laughs> you know it's like you know god damn it's like someone singing in zeppelin singing stairway to hyannisport <laughs> you know and then it was just bad and then you know he said at one point yeah yeah i'm from toronto and he, when he said he's from toronto you could hear drink tickets being taken at the rainbow i mean it was just like dude nobody cares but where you're from we're all here to see jakey e. lee it's his first concert in like 25 years yeah i'm at the whiskey it was packed and you know jake was great but you know the rest of the band the bass player didn't move an inch the whole night but that's his manager so that's how he got the gig holy and, uh, shit you know the drummer was okay, but they got Craig Chayson on bass, and he was with uh, Jake Ely in Badlands. So, you know, I think he's trying to get Jake a little more together. But uh, Oh, wow, man. You should have podcasted a review of that show right afterwards. That was awful, man. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about doing some podcast by myself, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's always better with guests. And, you know, I did. Okay. I know I've put this out there a million times, but I'm going to say it again. And I'm going to call it out. I really want you to have Jerry Rocha on. I think you oh. and Jerry would be hilarious. And Jerry used to do a podcast where it was just him called The Ramble, where he'd just go on there and start rambling. And very few people can keep a podcast interesting doing that. And I think you definitely could do that. Well, I thought of every now and then just when I can't get a guest to come, because I realized probably my biggest mistake. We had Kenny Lyon on? 
No, no, I, 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 I realized uh, I don't think I would have Kenny on. I love him, but it, that might get old real fast. <laughs> you um, could just record your conversation at Subway and release yeah. that. So, no, I'm good on that. Uh, I think the NAACP would have a problem with Kenny as a guest. <laughs> But, uh, you know, you got to do, I think, at least one a week so people get into the habit of, yeah. oh, or, you know, inappropriate earls out Monday night. And so every now and then if I can't get someone uh, to come down or can't go to someone, I, I might review an old Kiss album for like a half hour. That'd be cool. You should do stuff like that. You know, just, or 15, maybe even just like a 15 minute just quickie. And yeah, whatever just, uh, you got in you. To get, you know, I think maybe next week, uh, I don't think I have anyone lined up. I might, uh, if you guys tweet, let's, let's do some like tweeting just to get some buzz going about this show. Uh, I'm at Earl Skakel. I think everyone knows that. And Instagram, same thing. Facebook, uh, tweet what album you want me to review of Kisses. It can be anything related to Kiss. It could be Vinnie Vincent's album, two albums. It could be his EP he released. Uh, Gene's solo record. Gene's uh, solo record where he had like Helen Reddy and Joe Perry and Diana Ross and Sharon. It, it could be uh, Crazy Nights. We could break down the Desmond Child songs. Uh, so uh, this is uh, might be one of the longest, if not the longest, inappropriate Earl. Fuck yeah. uh, has uh, we've got uh, Ray Lewis on uh, my TV screen. Uh, it looks like a character wearing a Snoopy yeah, aviator hat. Looks like something out of the Land of the Lost. <laughs> Um, maybe Chaka and the Sleeve Stacks are behind him. Uh, so, and by the way, my TV is set to night vision. Um, I have a, my bulb is burnt out, but the TV is still in watchable condition. So I haven't gotten a new TV yet. So everything's got a green tint to it. So I got like a direct TV guy over here the other day, giving me a new receiver. And he's like, dude, what did someone from seal team six set your TV to night vision? <laughs> So, uh, you know, if you want to give Earl, if you want to support Earl, just let's get inappropriate Earl going so I can buy a new TV and, uh, you know, Samsung smart TV with Netflix. There so, you go. Uh, that is it, guys. Uh, like I said, we're on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thank you to Jordan Lee for coming down. Suck it. Uh, Joey Allen here Thursday. Leave a review on iTunes. I leave them all up, good or bad. And uh, this will be up at some point in the next few hours. So if you can retweet it or Facebook it or whatever, it helps me out, helps get the numbers up. And uh, we'll see you out there soon. Yeah.